Hello, and welcome to episode 72 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me Joining today... Me today. Why would you do that, Stephen? <laughs> I was going to introduce you as, like, the Batman. Well, you're still welcome to. I just wanted to see if I knew what you were going to say. And okay. I well, I kind of say the same thing every time, so thanks for just, you know, doing that. Thanks for listening to my friend. <sighs> yeah. Stephen Meyerink. Taylor on, on the boards. <laughs> Host of the world's worst music podcast ever. Oh, did you guys get some fan mail about that? No, I was just trying to be facetious. No, man, people love that podcast. Uh, okay. Uh, hey, other guy, who are you? <laughs> my name's Derek, and I'm Embryon on the boards. Not that you will see me on the staff or the public boards a lot. At Embryonix on Twitter. Are we doing that here? Are we doing we Twitter should. here? Yeah, we should. SJM Taylor on Twitter. I do not tweet. Yeah, Rob's above Twitter. I uh, am actually. I'm, I'm, I'm too important for Twitter. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. find Twitter to be so inane, and you have people that just you know, spam Twitter. You know what, Rob? I resent that, because my last tweet was about how I set nachos on fire. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, now, <laughs> at the risk of becoming the giant bombcast, I want to hear about how you set nachos on fire. <laughs> I actually did. Like, for real. For real fire. Uh, I don't like, know. I, I took just... a blowtorch, and... <laughs> I was just being an idiot. I was, uh... I made like a burrito and I was making guacamole and I put nachos in the oven, but I was a dummy and I didn't uh, move it from the top rack and I put it on broil. So like, I was making the guacamole and then all of a sudden I was like, it's a little smoky. Ah, oh, crap. I guess my nachos are going to be on the brown side. And I open it up and it's like literally flaming. <laughs> so I, uh, I went ah! and uh, grabbed it, threw it outside and I stomped on it. Flames. On the side of my face. It was pretty stupid. But, uh, yeah, everybody's got a story like that. So, whatever. Uh, I do. I'm going to own it. (laughs) You do. It's somewhere in your dark years. Your deep, dark, troubled history. Oh, man. Uh, I didn't tell you guys about how my computer, like, completely burped and had to do a disk check on the entire main hard drive. So I thought that the damn thing had crashed. That might have been the most terrifying hour and a half of my life. You're being metaphorical. I get you. Oh, ha, 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 ha. No, it was terrible. Like, I, I just don't even know what happened, but I went to a black screen, and it was like, we need to check the disc now. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, dear God. You were like, am that's I doomed? Like, that's like any time your computer, like, you, you turn your computer in the morning, or, you know, wake it up out of sleep mode, and it's like, there's a critical error. Safe mode will now be enabled, and it's like, what? Huh? Yeah. You're and like... Was I not in safe mode? You're like, I didn't back my things up. And then it's fine. How was I not being safe? I, I got the blue screen of death one time just closing Google Chrome. Like, I, <laughs> just one day I was like, okay, and close Google. Whoa. Oh, it was like, you will, you will not close me. Okay. Like, <laughs> you go you go into Internet Explorer or what? What's going on here? I had to delete the cache in my Google Chrome the other day because my school-issued laptop was not loading YouTube, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, you need just need to go in and delete your cache on Google Chrome. And I love how if you go to delete your history, it says obliterate all history, and you can select it to go from the end of time. Yeah. <laughs> I love the guys over at Google. That's just phenomenal. They're clever. We are way off topic, right? I think this is going to be a fun pod- podcast, ladies and gentlemen, because we've kind of got a lot of kind of smaller things sorry i was just being facetious again (laughs) we've got a lot of smaller titles to talk about a couple of older games to talk about we've got new consoles to talk about we were kind of having a spirited discussion and derek's like hey maybe you guys should save that for the podcast as like steven and i were ready to start like coming to blows over the whole thing 
Well, so, I mean, we came back together over Dark Souls, so... It is true. It is true. And, uh, yeah, how about that uh, Dark Souls Japanese box art once again beating the American box art? I like uh, that I managed to derail us into Dark Souls again. Well <laughs> played. Hey, Derek, right. tell me about those skeletons that you fought that one time you played Dark Souls. They were great. I loved how I killed them, but then they came back and killed me. <laughs> All right, so let, let, let's pick... Uh, I'm sorry, Derek, what? <laughs> what? I just... Nothing. Dark Souls. <laughs> I'm trying not to talk over you, Derek. I'm sorry. Asphinctor says what? What? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was quoting wow. Angel. All uh, right, let's get on topic. Video this games. might be a weird episode, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Uh, Derek, can you talk to me about The Wolf Among Us? Absolutely. So you may think that I always play all JRPGs all the time, but that is not so, listeners. I enjoy a wide variety of things, and uh, I've many yeah, other so... Before. So yeah, I actually, um, I really liked The Walking Dead. I wasn't uh, sold on the premise at all until I actually played the game, because I, uh, Stephen and I were actually having a, a, a tiff yesterday. Not really a tiff, a disagreement. Um, I think that zombie everything has oversaturated the world, and I'm so sick of it that I just almost instantly despise anything having to do with zombies on principle at this point. Um, so it, something really has to prove itself to be original or interesting to me before I'm like, cool zombies um so the walking dead was a game that i initially met with some trepidation and after hearing a lot of praise um i I think the first two episodes were free on ps plus at the time and those were the only two episodes out so i was like all right i'll try this and i ended up really liking it uh mostly because it's less about zombies and more about you know character driven stories so the wolf among us telltale's next game continues that but it actually has a really interesting setting, at least in my opinion. Um, it's definitely darker and grittier than... The, well, I don't know if I'd say it's darker and grittier than The Walking Dead. It's about the death, The complete really. downfall of human society. No. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's very, it's very <laughs> noir. It's, it's, not, it, it's not zombies. It's like gritty, like dark right. sort of it's, like... It's very noir. Like Raymond Chandler almost. Right, and this is based off of a... I, I, this is blasphemous, but I actually... It's based off of a comic series called Fables, and I forget who the um, author slash artist of that is. Um, but it's basically... You're playing as this guy named uh, Big B Wolf. Get it? Big B Wolf. Um, he is the big bad wolf, and he is basically the sheriff of this little town, or this little, I don't know, suburb of what looks like... I don't know if it is... I don't remember if they say it's New York or whatever, but... Um, so you're playing as this guy who basically has to keep all of the fairy tale creatures that live there in check... And, again, I'm not super experienced, and I, I don't know all the lore behind um, the comic series, but it's, uh, it's, you're definitely playing a different character. It's not Lee Everett again. You're playing as a guy who's a lot more, um, I don't know, a lot more driven. He has a, str- a way stronger personality, whereas Lee was kind of just like, go with the flow, protect Clementine, and that was really most of what you got out of him other than everything that you got out of Lee was what you put into him as far as decisions. Whoa there. Uh, what you put into him. <laughs> um, so Derek Bigby Big is, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Big Bigby is a, is a definitely a, a stronger character. So it's this noir kind of setting and you're playing as him. And so what you're doing basically is investigating a series of, murders fairy tale murders and i don't want to say a lot because it's really new only episode one is out this is going to be another five-part series that telltale releases one by one 
you can buy each episode individually for five bucks, and then they're gonna, or you can do the whole season for twenty bucks. Uh, I don't really know. It's it's a lot like The Walking Dead as far as the gameplay goes. The interface has seen some small improvements. For the most part, it's very much like you get into situations and you just have to react quickly with dialogue. It, the you have limited time to say things and respond to situations, and there are some light QTEs, kind of like in Walking... Well, exactly like in Walking Dead. But I, I find the atmosphere to be really, really compelling, and it's very mature, and not mature in a LOL sex jokes, LOL excessive violence kind of way, but mature in a sophisticated kind of way. Like, this is a story that is not for children because it's very dark and has a lot of adult themes. So I find it really uh, interesting, and I'm really... I wasn't that sure about it before, it, before. Again, it was like Walking Dead. I was like, okay, well... At this point, I know that Telltale has a pedigree and they're proficient at creating good, compelling game experiences, but I don't know if I'm sold on this setting. And then as soon as I played it, I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. So I would actually, I don't know if I could say I could recommend it over over Walking Dead just because it's only episode one at this point, but it is very much worth looking into. Episode one is only five bucks, so you really aren't losing much by giving it a go. I really, really want it because it looks so good. Mm Mm-hmm. If I could, because the the only real I, I'm with Derek, where I I really tried not to like The Walking Dead, and it ended up coming out on Steam sale for like seven dollars. All right, fine, let's do this. And it ended up being probably my favorite game of last year. It, and it was, you know, it wasn't doing anything dramatic, but it just it told a really interesting story, and it really kept me engaged the whole way through. One of my biggest problems with that game was that the the puzzle design was just. Not really no. puzzle. It wasn't puzzle design. It was just pick up this thing and kind of hover it over this thing to get this thing to activate and keep the story bits going. Have they improved anything of that with The Wolf Among Us, or is the main draw still the character interactions and, and the story? It's still the character interactions. I haven't actually seen anything puzzly at all. Um, the, the, main, the main thing that you do is you make decisions that impact the story, much like Walking Dead, where you'll get the little notifications where they say, so-and-so will remember that. And there have been a couple of branches already in the first episode where you have to you have to make a really quick decision like, OK, so there's a part where basically you can you can chase after one of two characters at a certain juncture. And depending on which one you chase, a certain character may not live. Uh, so that's all I really say. But, yeah, it's it's just more about making your decisions and impacting the narrative. It's not really there's not really any puzzles, at least that I can see so far. Yeah, I think Telltale goes with the LucasArts style of design. Like, not that the LucasArts games didn't have inventory puzzles and that, but it's very much a storytelling experience. It's kind of more like a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing than an old-school point-and-click adventure game, I would say. Right. It's, it's, th- it's very narrative-driven. Yeah, and there have been a couple of instances where the you have items in your inventory... Uh, I don't remember if you have actually, I think you have an actual inventory that you can look at, but you can't like choose them and then use them at will. You just get prompted to use them in certain situations. Like there's a part where uh, if you have, if you have something in your inventory, you'll be in a conversation and then it'll be like, do you offer this item to this person because you have it? So you could, you could miss out on that dialogue option if you don't have it, but it's not, again, it's not puzzly. It's just giving you more options for conversations. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to say a lot about the game because it is just a narrative. 
you know, it's not really a... Yeah, you can't spoil anything. It's not as gamey, so I can't really give you a lot of details. I think that it has really strong writing again and really interesting characters, especially considering that I wasn't super in love with some of the designs. I tend to not really like comic book character design. Every artist is different, but most Western comics, like, I I just don't really like that gritty, kind of messy style. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, I'm not saying that I like all manga better or anything like that, but so graphic, no- graphic novel art has a very particular look. Um, right. So, so I mean, I emulates that and say, sorry, good. in spite of, it's, it's okay. In spite of that, I still found a lot of the characters interesting, even the, the ones that I didn't find aesthetically appealing, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I think, um, that's what interests me in it so much is that I, I couldn't get into the walking dead and I don't think I ever will now that it's all the major plot things have been spoiled for me. And I, you know, I just, I don't have an, because I agree with you, even though we disagree vis-a-vis zombies, I think uh, my, my, my default instinct isn't to be like, oh, zombies, I'm not interested. It's, is this, you know, like with uh, that Dying Light game, I saw it and I said, this looks cool and has zombies. But with, with The Walking Dead, I really didn't see anything that interested me enough. And after repeating the same section four times, because there's no save system, I, I just, I gave up. And, uh. But with this game, I, I, I agree. I think the setting just looks a lot more intriguing to me, probably because I'm just really into noir storytelling and that sort of like, like you know, hard-boiled looking look. Hard-boiled looking look. Yeah, cognition. Although I would, I, I don't know if I'd compare the two wholesale, but I, I do think it is a, it's a valid comparison. But I think what I'd be interested in seeing is because from what I heard with The Walking Dead, you had the illusion that you were impacting the story. But you really, you really weren't. It was kind of like things were going to play out a certain way. You're just yeah. your interactions with people were different. Mm, and so I'm, yeah. I'm very interested if that is what ends up well, happening in this, or if you know, is is does this seem like it's more meant to be like, you know, people are going to live and die based on your choices, or is it going to be this is the story we're telling? However, the specifics may vary based on that, you. That well, it's a combination of both. The Walking Dead does have the same ending regardless of what you do in the middle but people do live or die based on your actions and it's it seems like this is the same already okay so in that in that they but see they could they could pull a switch and decide it's again it's only episode one of five and so they could actually have more elaborate plans this time to have your decisions give you one of several endings i don't know but it does it does seem like at the very least people will live, live or die based on your choices. I mean, I, okay, because I think, so, sorry, um, I think what would get, because if you think about the, the Walking Dead, even if I had played that, I don't think I'd want to play it again, because since the ending turns out the same, you can kind of imagine how the different permutations of other things work out. Whereas I think, considering that these games are completely narrative-driven and not based on, you know, puzzle-solving or, like, creative problem solutions... By giving them multiple endings, that gives you a really great way to want to play through multiple times and really impact how things turn out. And I'm not saying that's a flaw in the game, because having a definite ending is great from a storytelling perspective, because you can tailor your your story to make sure it's thematically resonant and consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I more or less, I'm just kind of musing. If it did have multiple yeah. vastly different outcomes, I could see that being a great way to entice you to play the same story more than once. You know? What what I will say is one more thing, Rob. I'm sorry. <laughs> is is that uh, at the in the Walking Dead at the end of every episode, you had this very bulleted list of 
here are the five key decisions in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how did you make, how, what did you choose compared to the other players that are doing it? The Wolf Among Us is a lot less rigid in that it shows you things like that, but it's not like, here are the five. It's like, here's a thing that you did. It, it's more like, it's, instead of saying like, did you let character A live or die? It says, you gave character A the money. You went to this apartment first. So, and, and they're not, there's not an exact number of that. It seems like it'll be different every episode. So it's a little bit more open in that and, sense. Sorry, Rob. Just I, I don't want to take off that one thing real quick. But And we went to E3, and they were uh, two years ago when they were – or was it last year? I don't know. I think it was this E3. We saw The Walking Dead, and they talked about how after episode one, they took the feedback, and they actually wrote the story based on what players were doing. So kind of like in a, like a, a tabletop dungeon mastering setting, you're like, oh, my players did this. I will do this. Because I didn't think that they would do that. So, like, when people did certain things in in great amounts, or, like, when a lot of people did certain things, they made, they wrote the story to really kind of throw you for a loop if that was the case. And so I think maybe those kind of metrics are being done here, too. So maybe they don't even know what they're intended to do yet. I think there's also an element of because Stephen, you were saying that you end up get and Derek, you agreed with him too that you end up getting to the same conclusion. I think a lot of games that emphasize choice end up getting into a problem where they have to condense everything down because they do have a story that they want to tell. Um, Mass Effect very famously with its ending. You know, Witcher 2 allows for a great deal of variability in the middle, but all the stories kind of come together at the end, and you you fight the same boss no matter what at the end of the game. I I would actually say that even though I I despise the game in many ways, I thought that the way Heavy Rain handled its permutations and the way you could get to the ending and have very real differences in the ending was a really, really good sign of what they were going for with that game. And then you have Virtue's Last Reward, which builds in the narrative and why you are able to have all these permutations. It actually builds that into the narrative. That handles it very well, too. Oh, and it's so tasty. Right. I I just think that The Walking Dead... A lot of people said, when I was kind of attacking Heavy Rain, they said, well, Rob, it's not the... It's not the end that matters, it's the journey. And I, I feel that Heavy Rain, uh, excuse me, I feel like The Walking Dead really lived up to that. And I actually like the fact that they had the ending that they had, and you had the permutations leading up to that ending. I'm interested to see if they have, if that plays into anything with Season 2 of The Walking Dead, which they just announced, and we're going to start getting that pretty soon. It, it sounds like they, the more choice, oh God, what am I trying to say here? There was an article on Kotaku tonight about how there's been a lot of discussion about choice this generation, but there hasn't been a lot of meaningful choice. And I Mm -hmm. do kind of agree with that in a sense. And I I think Heavy Rain is a point in that favor where there is a lot of choice in narrative. And, you know, you could have characters not show up at the end of the game, or you could have characters that just outright die and the game, the narrative can continue. But I do think that a lot of this generation has been a lot of talk about choice in terms of narrative that hasn't really played out that well. And I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just something worth mentioning. And I just want to see Steven get angry a little bit if I bring up the Mass Effect 3 ending again. Uh, I, can we I not? Think, <laughs> we, we, we can't, because I realized the other day how sad it has truly made me, because I used to love that series, and now I totally nothing it. Um, I, I think it's an interesting conversation to have, because a lot of developers say we want choice in our game, and then they realize, like, Bioware had to have said when they made Mass Effect 3, oh my god, we have like a billion things. And I think, all things considered, 
they did a decent job of reflecting what you did up to a certain point. <clears throat> but, you know, it's just the limitation of you can't design for every possible permutation if your story is going to veer off in wildly different directions. Right. And, yeah. like, it's not a tabletop game, so you can't. You have to create content to go with that. And you know how much I hate that word, but it's, it's relevant here. And it's... it's like, that's why with, with these episodic games, it's not like suddenly there's a game every two years with hundreds of decisions you have to keep in mind. It's like The Walking Dead or this. It's like, yeah, you did this, you did that. And they have the potential built in there for the game to look at those decisions and do things. So by doing it episodically, you have a better chance to reflect the player's choices. Mm-hmm. But you have to, like... The, it's like the more options you give a player, it's like every time you give them a branch... It has to branch in both directions, and then you need every possible permutation of that to branch off. So, like, even with Heavy Rain, it's like they did a great job with it, but Heavy Rain is an incredibly focused experience. Right. Like, when you get a game where, you where, you know, there's more open gameplay, like Mass Effect, you know, or imagine, like, I don't know, a, a JRPG or a game, like, imagine a game like Skyrim actually having, like, choices that sort of matter. And like you know, like look at Fallout, or look at Fallout when you blow if you blow up Megaton, that's that's one choice that required them. They advertised that one choice because they're like, look at how different it is if you blow up Megaton. You get totally different quests. So it's like, you know, it, there's really no way I think in a video game, other than like an episodic game or a really focused experience like The Walking Dead or Heavy Rain, to get a full span of the yeah. player's choices being represented. And I, I don't say that poo-poo on developers, but I say that just because technically I just don't think it's possible. It, right. Well, it's, it's possible, but do we really want uh, do we want a game that has like a five-year development cycle that ends up only being about two or three hours long because of how many choices they have to account for? Well, and the, the two best stories that I've played this year were Bioshock Infinite and The Last of Us. And those games, I, I was reading some people's comments on message boards, and they were like, man, I really wish I could have impacted the ending to The Last of Us. And I'm like, no, you don't, because the ending to The Last of Us played directly into what those characters were doing, and it made thematic sense. If you had had the decision to do what you did in The Last of Us, and you could have veered off in a wildly dis- different direction, that would have created a dissonance between your character and the player. Yeah, and that's that, the thing. That would have broken and, and... the game. Yeah, it, it has to be, when you're designing the game, you have to say, am I reflecting the player's choices, or am I telling the player a story about my character, who is a set character? And Joel is a set character. Not that that's an RPG, but this it is, wouldn't uh, have... Go ahead, finish. I was going to say, well, that's the thing. It's just like with Mass Effect, you know, the whole time they're like, oh, you know, you are Shepard. Shepard is your Shepard. And then at the end they're like, no, we have a story we're telling. And it's like, that's, that's where a lot of people got frustrated. It was like, no, 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 the whole time you told me this was about what I would do. Mm-hmm. And that's where the now distance comes in. Yeah. Now and all of a sudden, no, no, no. This is the story we're telling you. That's so why I, it, 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 it's it has to vary based on the game. Well, that's why I gravitate so much more towards predefined characters and actual stories that are written by people that have direction. You know, that, that have ideas that they want to see fleshed out. And and I I agree completely. Yep. I'm. I, I'm lo- I mean, like, I'm. I'm just like this. Is, it's a big part of why I'm not such a huge fan of open games like I, I mean I guess like Skyrim has a narrative yes like it, ha- it has an overall narrative but it also has I'm, I'm a using, lot of I'm side u- stories I'm using scare quotes yes yeah I don't I don't know if it's yeah and see that to me it's just it comes across as a really generic narrative like 
okay, well, we have a main narrative for the purpose of having a narrative, but it's not really impactful in any way because it's just like, you are the dragonborn. Go do the things. Yeah, Whereas I agree completely. I, really, I prefer a lot of new... Because that game is so centered on player freedom that as a gameplay element, you, you have so much freedom, and that's great, but it's really hard to create narrative freedom in that sense like because like you said they have to account for a million different things which is why i prefer i mean it's it's all about me you guys but i prefer experiences that are not necessarily linear but i guess more structured where my characters have definite personalities and as the player my what i get to do is influence how they develop in a gameplay sense like you know customize the sphere like you know the sphere grid or whatever the license board that's what I like. I, I would much prefer that and be told a, a really good story than play Skyrim and just be like, do a thing. And yeah, I, but I mean, it's they're different kinds of games, so there's an audience for both, and that's fine. I, I agree, and I, I think there are exceptions. Like, if you look at the Baldur's Gate series, the old ones, those did a really great job of presenting you with characters that were, you know, they had a story, they had a background, they had personalities, but you were free to customize them, and that was a very open game. And Skyrim is a different type of experience. But I agree generally. Like, that's why I love The Last of Us, because it's, you know, or like Deus Ex Human Revolution. Jensen is a character. You're not, you don't dictate who Jensen is. Jensen is who he is. And you dictate how you, how you build Jensen as a, as a, as a, as a player character. Right. And the, play, the player choice comes in the gameplay and you get to nudge the character in directions, but he's not, you know, Jensen's not going to turn into a murderer. Like he's he's exactly. not he's not going to go out and commit serial killer crimes. I mean, I and I guess that's that's what I'm looking for more in games these days. Is you know I, I've found that I'm really not paying attention to the story in most video games anymore because it's a lot of gobbledygook. It's a lot of just throwing out technical terms or it's it's really really piss poor world building. I actually want to get Kyle onto the show at some point because you know he's he's so interested in narrative. We need to finish up our narrative discussion, but I find so much video game storytelling to desperately be trying to create a world of novel quality and just failing miserably at it to the point that I don't care about any aspect of the game. And the the storyline to me is on autopilot. And very few games are actually doing doing a very good job of that and keeping me interested. Right. See, I, I wouldn't I would not agree with you that many games are doing that. There are a lot of games that are telling bad stories, especially in the AAA space. Um, that are telling, you know, derivative or rote stories, or like, you know, you get like, again, not to not to rib on Final Fantasy thirteen, but it did a poor job presenting its world to you. It was it was a lush world, but they tried so hard to make everything unique that they didn't present it in terms of human characters. And that's again, I know we get yelled at for bringing it up, but the the way ca- character building is handled in Dark Souls is really interesting because there's nothing in the game that's narrative, like. You're never going to, like, there is, but it's like, you know, go, go ring the bell. Okay, there's a guy who's a jerk, go kill him. But, like, all of the, there are all these, if you if you pay attention to people who really get into the story in Dark Souls, it's like, you know, they tell you these whole histories of characters that you get from items and from context and stuff. That's all in the game, but presented in a really unique way. And that's why it's so, for me, it's so compelling, because there is, there's history behind these little items you pick up, or this weird bobble you pick up. So, it's like, there's all these interesting ways to present these rigidly constructed characters, even though you yourself are a, a blank slate. Basically. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say that, uh, because I think that that's really, in a very basic sense, that's almost the same as the data log in 13 or the compendium in Xenosaga, and that 
there is a lot of story and you can get it by researching and doing work on your own. I just think that in the case of, of Dark Souls, I don't really know because I haven't played it again, um, is that they don't have, like, they aren't ham-fisting you a narrative already and then telling you to look for the rest. Like, they give you nothing and then it's up to you to look for anything. Yeah, so exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't seem as, like, it doesn't. It seems like less of a problem because it's it's they're not barging down your door and saying, "Here's the story," but it doesn't make sense. It's just like there's no story. Go go get it yourself if you want it, and then it's it's more interesting because I don't know. You worked for it, and or it's it's just a better it's better or more interesting lore in the first place. Like the the lore of the thirteen series is actually really interesting, but they do not give you any of that information. Like there's there's a lot of a. Uh, there's some info out on the net that came out from like the random, the the various Ultimania books that they've released or the novels between the the thirteen games, and the overall story is like some crazy battle between these three gods basically, and you get almost none of that. And again, we've talked about this how it's like who who's Etro? Who the hell is Etro? Like, why is Lightning her knight suddenly? And, and you know, I I think that actually is like. Like, and to go, I agree with your comparison, like, Final Fantasy Thirteen is presenting you a cinematic story, whereas Dark Souls is like, here's a world with important personalities, go find them. And I think Square has had that problem for a while, where they create all of this complicated lore, like, remember when, like, in between Kingdom Hearts 2 and, like, Chain of Memories, there's all this incredibly complex theorizing about who's who and who's what soul and yada yada yada, and then you get the game and almost none of that comes into play. Like, you're like, how are they going to explain this to Sora, who is, by their own admission at this point, a simpleton? How are you going to explain these complex concepts? And the answer is that you're not. You're just going to ignore them. Diablo did the same thing. Diablo 3 has this incredibly deep, diverse history that they wrote a game. They were like, yeah, uh, that stuff is over there, I guess. Um, there's a yeah. monster with, with butterfly wings. Get him. You know, I actually, I really, um, I, I wasn't into Diablo before 3, which I know Blasphemous, right? Uh, but three, three was like was like my calling. I thought, okay, cool. I can finally try this series out that everybody's so excited about, and it seemed like something that I would be really interested in. So before the game came out, I got the Book of Cain, which was, and I was awesome. I was like super into the lore. I was like, this is super. Oh cool. man, I was so yeah, excited. I was too. And so, and then the game came, and it delivered this like Saturday morning cartoon schlocky <laughs> plot. Yeah, and I was like, like ha, 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 some random person who has never been described ever killed Deckard Cain. Yeah, and then I was like. So what the hell was the point of all that interesting lore? I mean, this it's almost the same as like thirteen, because it's exactly again, the same. I would say again, I like thirteen, and I, I don't think I don't I don't hate the game. I don't think the story was badly delivered. I you know I actually like it quite a bit, but it's very much a case of like, why do you have all of this incredibly interesting world building and lore that you're not going to implement in the game in any way that I can actually access? Yeah, and, and you know what's a great way to compare it is Final Fantasy twelve. Final Fantasy XII has a really interesting world that is, it's kind of the difference between show, don't tell. Final Fantasy XIII says, we have an interesting world, but they don't show it to you. They just tell you. They're like, yeah, there's a thing here. Trust me. Mm -hmm. Diablo. Mm -hmm. Diablo. These gods have history. They're, they're not, the, the prime evils are not necessarily stronger. They're just basic human facets. Well, Whereas right. Final Fantasy XII doesn't say hey, we have this giant world called Ivalice, and there's a dictionary that explains it. They, they, they show you the different races. They show you how everything acts. So you yeah. go, there's a much bigger world outside of this that is referred to, but you're telling me a story that is encapsulated here. And again, that game has problems too, you know, with character development. But in terms of presenting 
this elaborately detailed world, that game is a great example of show me, don't just tell me. Well, that's... I agree with that very well, much. That's where the novels that I really enjoy, like the Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, and any book by Joe Abercrombie, I really like these writers. Uh, I would also put um, Mark Lawrence up there, Prince of Thorns, uh, Broken Empire trilogy. They have a combination of the two because what I wanted to bring up that Stephen just Stephen just brought up Final Fantasy twelve, and I agree with him that the world of Evilese to me is so awesome. I, I really, really love that world. But the actual narrative that they're telling in Final Fantasy twelve, I find borderline atrocious. Like I think it's told very poorly. I think the characters are incredibly uninteresting, and you're hearing about interesting stuff but not taking part in it. The best novels have a combination of both. They have interesting narratives woven with very, very interesting yeah. worlds. And I, I do think that what we've been having a hard time with, and, and you guys brought up Diablo, Final Fantasy Thirteen, Final Fantasy Twelve. these are all games where the world is extremely interesting, but the narrative that you are telling me in that world, I, Derek knocked it out of the park. Diablo 3 story is a Saturday morning cartoon a horrible. I expected Dr. Claw to show up and kidnap Penny. Yeah, it's literally I'm Diablo. <laughs> like it, it was so bad. It was I was it was so bad. I was expecting it to have a massive twist. I was expecting it to, you were going to finish the game and find out that Belial had been like warping your entire sense of what is reality because it actually goes into the book of Cain. He talks about how oh Belial will actually make you think that you're in a different reality and he'll build lie upon lie and and get like I expected it to just be like these machinations. No, it turns out Belial's just acting like a kid. It turns out Belial is literally just Handsome Jack from Borderlands, and he's just taunting you. You'll never catch me. Oh, you killed my lieutenant. Well, I have another lieutenant, and now I'm going to explain my whole plan to you. Yeah, it was it was awful. And the the novels that I've really in, uh, that I've really been enjoying, and I, I know Stephen read a little bit of the Broken Empire trilogy, but that that world is so interesting, and the narrative is woven into the world with interesting characters doing interesting things. And I, you know, for all my problems with the game, I think The Last of Us does a great job of building an interesting world and then putting interesting characters into that world. And I think to to bring it full circle here. I think Telltale has done a really good job of taking The Walking Dead, which I agree with Steven. I find The Walking Dead TV show to be borderline unwatchable at this point. Like, it, it is just the slowest show on television, and I am so sick and tired of its awful soap opera for the sake of soap opera. They took what I would amount to an interesting world, which is the zombie apocalypse, and then they placed interesting characters into it, far more interesting than are on the show right now. And that's what kept that narrative alive for me and kept me interested in it. I've actually, uh, I, I need to watch, I've heard that this latest season of the Walking Dead show is a lot better. It's better in that it is not the absolute train wreck of the second season. <laughs> yeah, that, that I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I hated the I second season. Yeah. I, I, I thought the first season was, I was like, all right, you know what? I read the graphic novel to a point. This is, this is interesting to me. And then I was like, but there's things happening that didn't quite add up in the first season. But I was like, well, you know, they haven't they haven't expounded upon that yet. And then when they did, it was like, oh, my God, are you serious? But and then there's the the third season of The Walking Dead was better. But there are so many gaping like 
refrigerator burning building plot holes that make absolutely no sense that you just sit there and go, why are these characters behaving like morons? Did you just combine an Indiana Jones reference with a heavy rain reference? Yeah. I, I think I did, and I didn't even mean to, mean to get Indiana Jones in there. But there, there's one scene in the, in the Walking Dead season three where it's like, oh, the, the one female character, she's right outside the prison. She's almost back to reuniting with her friends. And one dude, the main antagonist character, like manages to kidnap her and take him back to his lair. And I'm sitting there going, how the hell did he take her back? He's one man. Like, okay, maybe yes. he could overpower her for like a few minutes, but like, what? Why isn't she screaming? How? Wh- wait, wait. No, how did they get back to the car? How did they get back? Did she? Fu- right. What is going on here? Like, it was. It was so much like. How did he manage the zombies? Well, and and then there's also the fact that The Walking Dead, the zombies just show up to execute people when they're no longer interesting on the show, and it's always <laughs> a, it's it's always a stealth zombie attack. It it is the it's the reason why World War Z is the best piece of zombie fiction made since the original Night of the Living Dead, which is uh, uh, Max Brooks, he understood that a single zombie is not interesting. A horde of zombies is terrifying. It's like a force of nature. It's like locusts. And that's way more terrifying than, oh, you didn't see the one zombie that was literally hiding behind a tree and ready to say boo. Like, that's not interesting to me. And I, These people who, at this point have grown accustomed to living in a world where there is the constant threat of zombies, yet they're constantly surprised! Yes, they are constantly surprised that there are zombies. They're like, oh my god, I didn't expect there to be zombies here, or anywhere! So, uh... We got yeah, really Diab- off Diablo topic. 3, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> do you, do you want to move on? I guess so. So, uh, you're saying The Wolf Among Us is something that we should Oh, yes! <laughs> is For that sure. what we were talking about? Yeah, uh, <laughs> right? I'm like, what were we talking about? Alright, uh, now, now I want you to tell me the narrative focus of finding the eight badges in the Pokemans. Okay, so in the Pokemans... Because, you you're... see, you want to be the best there ever was? Yeah, you're, you're a cool girl or a cool guy, and you gotta get all the other the guys, and then you fight the guys, and you win the game. So... Do you want to talk about Pokemon a little bit? Are we I, cool with that? I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time talking about sure. Pokemon because so, so what's different? I think that should be the focus. it's Pokemon. Um, I just beat Pokemon Y the day before yesterday. Um, I kind of lost interest in it near the end because it's very it's Pokemon. It's I think that the thing that I didn't like about this one is that black and white felt really fresh because despite being on the same system. Because we had Diamond and Pearl were the first ones for the DS, and then they remade Heart Gold, Soul Silver, which were interesting because A, it had been a long time since we played through that generation, and B, they added like the partner Pokemon and the Pokewalker and stuff. Um, and then Black and White were really interesting because they had nothing but new Pokemon. Mm. And from, from the time you started the game until the time you beat the Elite Four and the Champion, it was all new Pokemon. So it felt like a completely fresh new world, and that was their intention was to make it a really cool experience for people who, you know, either for new people or for people who had played all the old Pokemon games, excuse me, all the old Pokemon games to death, like me and countless other people. So Black 2, White 2 was just, like, super samey because it changed almost... I mean, you had different gyms, different some different towns, but, like, it was the same region and all the same Pokemon. So I, I completely stopped caring, like, maybe after the third gym. So XY were really exciting for me because I was like, all right, cool. Brand new graphical presentation, lots of new Pokemon, um, new features. Awesome. So I started the game and I was in love with it at first. And I still I still think it's great. But the the excitement started to fade because 
a there really aren't a lot of new Pokemon in Pokemon X and Y. I, I say a lot, and people will agree or disagree. Um, I think the final count is something. It's it's in the sixties. It's like sixty nine new Pokemon. Really? Um, yeah. And in previous generations, it was always like a hundred plus. I'm not saying that quantity is better than quality, but you're in like every area I went to. It was like these are all old Pokemon, and I see like maybe one new one, and that wasn't as exciting to me because I was, I was just like, okay, well this is a new region and everything, but I, I really don't want to use Pikachu again. I, I want to use something different. Um, so uh, I think what, what they really did really well in Pokemon X and Y is they really nailed multiplayer aside from the fact that it's on a system that's using friend codes, which is still the worst thing ever. They've made it really robust and really easy to use multiplayer interface like it's it's on your bottom screen so at any time you can see registered friends like people that you've swapped friend codes with that are on your system and are playing the game and you can see passerbys which are even wi- like wi-fi passerbys all the time i was getting people from france and korea and japan that were just popping up on my screen and That's you can cool. yeah so and it so you can you can just trade with them you just tap their portrait and you can start up a trade or a battle um, there's something called the Wonder Trade, where you can just throw out a random Pokemon and get a random Pokemon in return. Of course, at first, like everybody's just trading Bidoofs with each other, <laughs> but later on, um, you know, some people are are sending out really cool stuff. Like I've I've tried to send out some mid grade Pokemon, and then I've gotten like a Charmander in return and some other stuff. There's that. There's a system called the O Powers, which are just they're they're little bonuses that you can send to friends. They're temporary. They last about three minutes generally. Um, there are things like you can increase the capture rate of Pokemon. You can instantly restore the, your friend's Pokemon's HP. Um, so there there are ways for you to interact with people beyond, like, let's battle or let's trade at a certain time. It's just, it's really easy to just jump in and do that. And that's a really big improvement, I think, to, okay, let's swap friend codes and then let's get on at the same time. And are you on? I don't know. I can't see your icon. Okay, are you connected? Um, so I think that, that connectivity has seen a really big boost in this particular version uh and the the new graphical presentation is certainly more dynamic although towns are basically you know it's still top down and you can roller skate around in analog instead of just the digital up down left right but it doesn't really do anything practically um i don't i don't know i can't really put my finger on what it is that made me lose interest near the end it's just that it's paced kind of weird. Between the first and second gyms, you have like, I don't know, five to ten hours of stuff to do. And then it's like, after that, it's like second gym, third gym, fourth gym, fifth gym, really fast. Uh, and I think that the team in this one, you know, the evil, nefarious team that you have to save the world from, is really boring. They're, it's they're not th- Team Rocket anymore? No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> They've gone through so many. Uh, dude, dude, I played Pokemon Blue. I know. This like, time it's Team Flare, and their goal is to create a beautiful world. So, <laughs> so the 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 plot, other than you being a Pokemon trainer, is they captured the legendary Pokemon, which is either Xerneas or Eveltal, depending on which version you have, and they're gonna ha- use an ultimate weapon to rid the to like not destroy the world or like you know kill a lot of people because they're worried about overpopulation. And it's actually like near the end, it's actually kind of like almost poignant i would say because they were like if there are too many people in the world then everybody will suffer so 
we need to focus on making life better for the people that are here instead of just constantly getting bigger and better. And there's this kind of a sappy little message late, like in the ending credits to like, let's just work together for a happy future. So <clears throat> it, it's very, very targeted at kids. Um, but the team itself is like super boring. And, um, mm. but it's a, it's, it's a great Pokemon game. It's very solid. Um, there's very little like post game stuff though, which is a big surprise because in previous games, they've just been upping the ante repeatedly for post game. Like, once you beat the Elite Four, that's just, that's nothing, you know? After that, it's like, okay, you have the Battle Frontier and Pokemon Emerald, or you have, like, all these different, like, the Battle Subway and uh, Black and White, or all these all these activities that you can go do that are really intricate, that really play off of the complexity of the battle system. Whereas in this one, there's there's the there's something like that. It's like the Battle Maison, because it's, it's French-themed. Um, but I'm not seeing a lot. There's, like, one more legendary beyond the the two the the two main ones that are on the box and it just seems like they're either going to have to patch stuff in like do dlc or something because other than metagame and competitive battling which is great there's really not a lot of extra content so uh go ahead it it, kind of well i I didn't mean to cut you off but it kind of it kind of sounds like i guess pokemon has kind of taken on a it isn't to the point of Madden or FIFA or Assassin's Creed where every year you get a new Pokemon game. I mean, there is a lot of leeway between the games. But it kind of feels like you could take a little bit of a break for a couple of years and then come back, and then you would I, be getting a game that's, that's like a huge jump forward, right? Well, I, th- I think that the problem is that we used to have one generation per system. Right. Like Red and Blue, Game Boy, and Gold and Silver, Game Boy Color, and so on. But then they did four on the DS. They did Black and White. Hard gold, soul silver, diamond, pearl. Uh, yeah, diamond, pearl, black, white, hard gold, soul silver, and then black two, white two. I did those in the wrong order. But it was like, all right, okay, I've had enough. And they weren't really improving that much from game to game. Like, you'd have spiffier battle animations or whatever, but they were really structurally similar. Mm-hmm. So this is the biggest jump in quite a while, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I've played through four Pokemon games on my DS that... And now it's like, all right, cool. I'm glad I have this new one. But at the same time, I've done this a lot. See, so, it's, it sounds like for me that I, I was being very honest. I've only played Pokemon Blue. I was going to get, I, I, I remember getting gold, thinking about getting gold and silver, and then I never did it. It feels like this would be such an insane jump for me. I would be like, oh my god, back in Pokemon. Great. It's it's great. I mean, it's great. the The games are really great fun, and they're they're very they're very much suitable for people of all ages because the meta game is insane. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Smogon University. They're a website that they they do tiers. Like, they rank Pokemon by tiers. Um, and there's so much info for competitive battling. Like, you can just go to a Pokemon's page, and there is an incredibly comprehensive description of like good things that this can counter, or like good move sets, optimal. Like abilities, optimal EV IV training, it's it's crazy, but and and black or I'm sorry X and Y have done a lot to make that more transparent in that there I don't know if you're familiar Rob with like IVs and EVs effort values and um uh, God I'm I'm gonna make a faux pas here I think it's inherited values, um but they're they're hidden stats like IVs are what Pokemon inherit from their parents um it's basically like their stat distribution at birth from a Pokemon egg and so like a Pokemon's potential is 
limited. So like if it if its speed IVs are really low, then it can only reach a certain max speed stat. So people who breed their Pokemon for competitive play aren't going to want that if they're going for speed, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, effort values are something that you can train. Before it was very invisibly, like you had to fight certain Pokemon would give you certain effort values. So like if I fought a Pokemon that had effort values of speed, it would increase my Pokemon's speed outside of actual leveling up. I, I, this is getting a little bit too technical, but they've made that a lot more transparent in this because you can see a lot of that as you're playing. There's a super training thing where you can alter all of that through mini games instead of this like weird invisible stuff that you had to look up guides for. Hmm. So it it advances it advances Pokemon in many significant ways, but at the same time it's like it's still Pokemon. It's still eight badges, Elite Four champion. Same thing, same journey, same evil team. And at this point, like I really think it needs a pretty dramatic shakeup after this game. Otherwise, a lot of people are gonna lose interest. Can I ask the question without seeming like a troll? What, um, that Pokemon? It's Pikachu! No, no, no. It wasn't going to be that. Uh, it it kind of feels like we're saying the same thing about a lot of Nintendo stuff lately. Like, we're saying, like, hey, this is great, but you guys have released how many Mario games in the past four years, and it used well, to be I, the... I, for one, hate the new Super Mario Brothers series. Like, at this point, I used to be indifferent, and now I just hate them. Like they I, are I liked so... the first one on DS. I, sure. I thought that was a good game. Sure, the first one was fun, and then after that, I was like, get this away from me they're so derivative yeah and but, I, and... but i agree actually to an extent i i'm a big nintendo fan um but you're right they they've kind of gotten really just their games are just like iterative improvements that are very small but nothing super exciting like i i'm super excited for a link between worlds i know you are too yeah but at the same time it's like all right this is a new link to the past mm-hmm. so yeah, hopefully, uh, there is hopefully their their whole dungeon structure shakeup is significant and not just something they're saying. And then we play the game and it's like, well, you can't really, like, sure, you could do these out of order, but I, uh, this, it doesn't impact anything, you know? Th- this is the exact same thing when somebody asked me, you know, are you excited that they're going to be making a lot of Dark Souls games? And I'm like, no, honestly, I'm not. Like, after Dark Souls 2, I want to be done with Dark Souls for a little bit. I was the biggest Assassin's Creed fan, and they drove that series into the ground, and I'm not buying any more of their games. Like, I, I really like to see massive improvements. I want to see them try new things. And, I, you know, even I, Zelda, we, we, we don't get a mainline Zelda game on, on consoles very often. I mean, I think the next Zelda game is at least two to three years off. But, you know, how much are they going to shake up the formula? I just yeah. feel like Nintendo used to Nintendo used to just do crazy stuff, like put a raccoon tail on Mario. Yeah, I think developers need to be less afraid of sitting back and saying, like, all right, we've 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 kind of... We, we've milked this particular structure enough. Let's let it gestate a little bit and then try something new. Yeah, I, I would say the best... You I mean I, like they said about Advance Wars? <laughs> well, Battalion Wars is not something we talk about, Stephen. Well, one of the... No, I'm saying that they need to make a new one and they need to make it now. I'm oh, for well, it. yeah, I agree with that. See, it's been long enough. Like, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, I, I think that one of the best publishers right now that is releasing cool interesting stuff is bethesda i think bethesda has are you disagree but go ahead real Uh, okay what uh, all right i haven't i haven't i haven't played dishonored though is the problem so like well like dishonored the evil within like they're they're doing a fresh new ip that has 
veins and and history to old series, but they're trying new things, and I'm actually very respectful of that. I mean, they're not they're not Activision, you know, releasing a brand new Call of Duty every other year, except this time it has a dog. They're I not. Agree, I, I agree with Rob very much that I, I I had to sit and think about it for a second, but I think Bethesda is doing a very good job of giving people sequels that they want. Like you're getting, you know, you're, you're getting get Fallout Four, you're getting your Elder Scrolls, yeah. you're getting your Fallout's, and to be honest, even them bringing back Fallout is great, but. You know, the Evil Within. It, it's not like it's nothing we've ever seen before, but it's a new take on that sort well, of thing. And I, you know, then they've got, uh, uh like the, even a few of the misses. Like, what, what was that game that was basically Gears of War Medieval? Oh uh, yeah, uh, Demon Forge or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, Hunted. The, the thing is, hunted. they're rolling the dice and trying new things, and yeah, uh, a lot of them are coming out great, like Dishonored. Well, I can, I can. Uh... I can appreciate that, and I can fully admit, like if if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't I don't know what a lot of their upcoming stuff is, other than the Evil Within, really, um, and like Dishonored DLC. But I just I feel like I've played Fallout Three four times. Well, and that I can I can 100% agree with you on. And, and and I think that Bethesda games typically have like again I haven't played Dishonored, but Bethesda's open world games are unpolished to the point of like it drives me insane. Like I I know that some people think that games like fallout and and skyrim are like when there are bugs they're funny and they're like haha i broke the game and like that just drives me up the wall yeah. and like I, great I i'm glad that you released that and there's dave i, I think dave may have actually commented on this at some point because i said you know i think it's quality over quantity and dave said it's still a huge technical achievement and it is but that doesn't mean that i'm not encountering bugs every 10 seconds I was also speaking more to Bethesda as a game publisher, which is what they've really started transitioning into, rather yeah. than Bethesda the developers. And I, I think it's really cool that them as a publishing house, they're they're taking some interesting risks, but they have their Elder Scrolls and their Fallout to fall back on. You know, I don't know if you have it in news, but there's there's been murmurings here and there about Fallout 4. I think we're going to get a spike uh, VGA announcement of Fallout 4. I, I think somebody's going to roll out in the damn Brotherhood of Steel armor or something like that. I feel but, like announcing it at Spike is doing that IP a disservice, but... Uh, well, I oh, would well. not argue it, the point but, with you. It, it, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely really, get a wider audience. Any, so. Anything at Spike is... Lame, well, unless but... it's like Call of Duty. Well, do you have the news story that apparently the uh, somebody on NeoGAF is saying that yeah, they're going to announce the Demon Souls successor at the PlayStation 4 launch party, and I'm going I, what? I am so sick of people saying that they're like Demon Souls 2 is coming out. I'm like, it's called Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I, I don't want another Demon Souls. Dark Souls took what was great about Demon Souls and then gave it interesting world progression. I have no desire to ever go back. I want to know what that director is working on. The director of Demon Souls and Dark Souls, his name is escaping me right now. I want to know what he's working on because he's working on something. You just said you don't want any more Dark Souls. Right. That's what I, I want to see something different out of, out of him. I want him to, you know, if he wants to make another dark fantasy game but do it in a completely different way, that's that's what I'm excited for. You, but I, I think. You we'll, know, go ahead. No, finish. The mine's unrelated, kind of. I, I just think that. To, to bring it back a little bit because uh, we got off topic but I just feel like we're and don't get me wrong I love Nintendo I love Nintendo games you know I love my Zeldas A Link Between Worlds is one of the games I am most excited for this year but 
you know, we're kind of saying the same thing about Nintendo every time we get together for for talking about one of their games. We go, oh yeah, here's a new Mario game. It's it's good. It's Mario. It's iterative. Here's Pokemans. It's it's good. It's fun. It's iterative. Here's you know even Skyward Sword. If you take out the the waggle controls, I mean, it was it was another 3D Zelda game, and you know some people really seem to like that. That's great. But, you know, and look at the backlash at something like Arkham Origins. I think Arkham Origins is getting torn apart for just being way too similar to Arkham City. Like that, like, you know, what is going on right now with the with these video game companies? And they're just going for the safe money because people continue. I, all of my students I, I, were like, I, are you going to buy Black Flag, Mr. Steinman? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm done giving them my money. I I think it's a little different in Nintendo's case because in Nintendo's case there is a very very vocal fan base that wants the same thing they don't True. There's, there's big change this is terrible even we've done it look at Paper Mario Sticker Star we we've talked for so long about how much we wanted another Paper Mario we got one they changed things and we hated it it's a good point and that and that's and that's that's me throwing myself under the bus but on the other hand we also want them to change it we just don't want them to change the things we like. But we also, but what, what do we like? How do they know that? How do they know what's not going to be interesting? Because they could change something we like and make something yeah. better. Yeah, and I think the problem is that Nintendo, up until a certain generation, like I would say GameCube, was very sparing with its first-party franchises. They, yeah. You didn't get... How many Mario games did we get on the Super Nintendo? Two. You got Super Mario World and Yoshi's Island. Or Yoshi's... Super Mario World 2. That's right. And, you know, you got, like, you know... Mario All-Stars and stuff, but how many Mario games on 64? One. How many Mario games on GameCube? One. And so Nintendo got to this point where they were like, oh my god, we gotta sell our, our new console, the 3DS. We gotta sell the GameCube. So they were like, oh, we'll rely on our great franchises, which is a smart idea because they have a strong stable of products. But now they're getting to the point where they're like, oh my god, we gotta sell more 3DSs and we use another Mario! And they're like, oh my god, we need more games, and none of the third-party guys are making them. Another Mario! And it's yeah, like, oh, crap. In, in this case, Super Mario 3D World looks really good, but yes. everything, all the new Super Mario Brothers stuff can just, like, die in a fire. I'm so done with it. And, and I think that's the problem, is that they've relied on those franchises people love so much to the point now where it's like, they've relied on them too much. Because it used to be, we, we would be like, oh my god, a new Mario! Right, because they didn't come that often. But now there's a new Mario reliably every year or two. Yeah, it used to be a big thing, and now it's just like, now it's okay. like, yeah, exactly. And you know, the best ideas in the world have to stop eventually. I would not ever want another Harry Potter book, and I love those books to death. I would not. Well, but, I said I would. I, I was going to say, a, you're going to get the uh, the book of amazing creatures or whatever it's called, right? Well, I already own those. those no, books. I mean, I mean, like you heard that. Uh, you mean the movie? Yeah, the new movie that J.K. Rowling's involved in with. Uh, uh, I actually I, I forget. Find it oh, be... what is it like? Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the two short, the two short books they wrote, and yeah. that's the thing is, we're gonna get off topic there. But that's the thing is, I actually am not excited for those because I'm like those. There's you need both. You need an interesting world and characters I care about, and they've only got one of them in that movie. I don't well, care. I don't care about the guy who wrote Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, who is the protagonist of the movie. I right. care about the relationships between these characters that I read eight seven books about. Can, and you know, and I mean, it could still be good. I'm not saying that, but yeah, that's the thing. Is it's like at a certain point you have to say we're done. Like after Dark Souls two, you know, eventually I'd like to see a revisiting of Dark Souls, but I don't want another one right now because 
at that point, you're being iterative. You're not being innovative. Well, just just wait until we all find out that Watch Dogs is secretly Assassin's Creed Five. Oh my god! No, thank you. <laughs> let's you're, let's be let's be honest. Watch Dogs is Assassin's Creed Five. I I, I just uh, somebody was saying on Giant Bomb that they just wanted every game from Ubisoft to end with you crawling out of the Animus. So you <laughs> you finish up Far Cry Three, you crawl out of the Animus. You finish yeah. up Watch Dogs, you crawl out of the Animus. Finish yeah. up Rayman Legends. It was just a weird trip in the Animus. Yep. But I, 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 yeah, I'd, I, to bring it back to the Pokemans, it kind of sounds like, hey, if you played Pokemon, you know, back in what was it, 1998, this is the Pokemon to pick up, right, Derek? Well, I don't know. Really, it's, it's not. <laughs> no, it, it is. I mean, sure, it's it's very much new and it's very fresh, but it's still a Pokemon game. If you like any Pokemon games, you will like X and Y. It's it's very, very good, and I've explained why. It's just... See, I, I think I would even, like, say for example I wanted to play another Pokemon game, which like, I, I don't really, but if I did, for me, I'd almost get more value out of this than you do, because you've been playing every version, so you've seen the small changes they've made that over yeah. time have added up to a ton. If I sat right. down in this game, I'd be like, I don't know what anything is here. Every yeah, Poke- so- There are 750 Pokemans in here that I've never seen. Yeah, so or, you know, well, minus 150. The but. first time I get the roller yeah. skates. Also, you know lose. what? I, I actually, this is, I don't know if this is going to come off as too mean, but I have a bone to pick with you, Stephen. So, so I don't know if, if it's on purpose or not, but I notice that anytime people are talking about Pokemon, if they want to to mention it, like, if people, it depends the way people pronounce Pokemon, like directly corresponds with how they feel about it. If you say Pokemon. You're a person who cares about Pokemon. If you say Pokemon, it's like it has a hint of derision, like, oh, you know, Pokemon, ha ha ha. Like anytime I've ever heard any podcast or talk to any people where we've talked about it, I've always noticed that there's a correlation between the way that they pronounce the name of the game and how they feel about it. Is that is that something for you? Because I, I notice you say Pokemon almost always. Or are you just like being snarky or like being funny? Uh, you're blowing my mind, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, am, I am, in as friendly a way as possible, going to say I have absolutely no idea what you're okay. talking about. Okay, I, right. I actually thought I called it Pokemans because I no, just like I, how that I don't, sounds. No, I, I don't mean Pokemans. Pokemans. I, don't, I don't mean Pokemans. Like, I say that all the time. Like, oh, yeah, Pokemans. It's like, but when people are, quote-unquote, seriously talking about it, and they say, like, if, say there's a news story, I'll say, yeah, so it, it sounds like Pokemon X and Y are coming out. I've heard other people on other podcasts and in real life say... Oh yeah, Pokemon's coming out. I don't care. It's never Pokemon's coming out, and I could I couldn't care less. It's always Pokemon. It's I don't know. Maybe I, it's just a thing. Like I'm I'm really into you know linguistic stuff like that. So I think it's really interesting because I notice a connection. But as a as a person who literally makes a career out of studying Japanese, um, I know it's pronounced Pokemon. But as a person who played it in 1998 and called it Pokemon, uh, that is why I'm calling it. Pokemon, if I am calling it Pokemon. I'm not even thinking about it. Okay. I just don't want Derek to get mad at me. I loved Pokemon when I was <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> no, I, I, to write. no, no, no. I, I really did. And, and I was thinking about picking up uh, X and Y. I really don't have uh, a lot of time to play right now. I'm kind of occupied with a lot of the games. I, I will admit, I really thought about picking this one up. But there was almost like a commitment level to it. Like, I, I started... Oh, to... you what? Do this. You do this all the time. 
Well, like there's a thing that's interesting, but I can't commit to it. Don't commit. Just do it. I think there's also an intimidation factor. Like you started talking about, you know, calculating my Thaco or whatever the hell you were talking about. And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? Let's be honest. Let's be honest, though. We all choose what we decide to get into. Dark Souls is not a simple experience by any stretch of the imagination and requires (laughs) and requires a great deal of effort. It's just. You choose to put your effort there as opposed to Pokemon, Pokemon, whatever the hell I'm calling it. <laughs> I, you and I choose the same thing. I, I recognize, like, I love Shin Megami Tensei. I don't, Pokemon doesn't interest me for narrative reasons. I, I, I like the idea. I enjoyed it when I played it. But now I'm like, you know what? I need a reason to do all of those things. Yeah. And, you know, if the reason is get badges and be the best, I'm like, all right, yeah, that was that was fun for me before. But now it's like. It's very much a gamey game, not a not a story game. Well, it, it's all yeah. Like, whereas, like, you can play a Shin Megami Tensei or a Digital Devil Saga, but where yeah, you get you know, it's not the 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 demon raising is not quite as involved as the Pokemon's, but it's there's you know there's a balance there. There's also a very elaborate storyline, or at least uh, you know there's there's atmosphere. Not that yeah. Pokemon doesn't have atmosphere, but no, it I doesn't get, have. That kind of atmosphere. Now, 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 all of our listeners are very acutely aware of how they pronounce Pokemon. Yep, I, I, I'm looking at the Skype uh, on my computer right now, and I swear to God, the picture of Derek, his eyebrow twitched when you said Pokemon. <laughs> no, I. Uh, all right, let's, let's move on. But it, it, can you, it's, can you it's, make the intro to this podcast, the Cosby Bebop the Pokemon's Poke 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 Pokemon. Pokemon with the Pokemon. <laughs> Uh, I think um, <laughs> if Zelda wasn't coming out in 18 days, I would probably pick it up. I would because I remember playing the living crap out of Pokemon Blue, yeah, but it, and that would be a lot of. I can see me playing a lot of that, but I'm playing a lot of Tactics Ogre still. So I just still wow. I, I am still playing Tactics Ogre. I'm, I'm about ready to beat it for the second time, and and I'm looking forward to a third playthrough. It they're the way they handled New Game Plus is very very intelligent. The enemies just keep getting tougher. So you keep leveling up with them, and it keeps the yeah. game pretty awesome. So, Steven, start playing that. Once I beat the three brief games I have, I'm actually going to play Final Fantasy XIII, too. I bought it the other day, so... Ooh. Wow. All right. All right, I well, you're, again, there yeah. we go. you know the story's going to be... But the... Uh... the music. All right, look, let's be honest. It's gorgeous, the music is great, and the combat system is good, yeah. so... Yeah. yeah, I agree with those things. Let's not let Rob uh, give his opinion. Uh, wrong, as lo- wrong. As long, yeah. as, you, as long as you can hit... Okay, no, like, you cannot say wrong or... about the music, Rob. You cannot. Yeah. Okay. The music is awesome. You probably don't even know any of it. Let's right. be realistic. Jeez. Ouch. Jeez. Wow. Claw's really coming out tonight. All right. We're the music guys. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, all right. oh, all right. All right. I'm not coming back on your you know, show if, ever again. If you come to nope. this podcast nope. called Rhythm Encounter, nope. you can talk about music. Nope. 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 All right. Can I just, can I just stay in Detroit punching people in the face while cloaked? Okay. Deus Ex reference. I like it. There you go. There you go. And, I, I'm not saying I'm going to love 13 too. I'm just saying I enjoyed the demo. It was silly, yes, but at this point I've accepted that's what I'm getting in that experience. If I can get enjoyable combat, good music, and yeah. you know, if you can check a few of the boxes, I'm okay. Yeah. I, I, not everything has to check all five boxes like Dark Souls does, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's okay. So Rob's been playing Deus Ex: Human Revolution Director's Cut. Is that correct? Yes, I have been. Thank you, Dave. Please tell me about it, because I, I own the uh, original, right? So if on Steam, if you own the original, you can upgrade for, what, like 10 bucks? Yes, you can upgrade for $10 uh, to the director's cut, and that'll get you the missing link. If you have the missing link uh, 
DLC pack, then it's only five dollars to upgrade uh, to the director's cut. So I got to upgrade for five bucks. Woo! Thank you, Square. Yeah, really good job by Square Enix. I they've made some subtle improvements to Deus Ex: Human Revolution. The first of which, and the most dramatic, which made me think that the game was glitching, was the fact that now you recharge two batteries instead of one. That may sound like a minor issue. <laughs> When you say it like that, I've played the game, and I know how big a deal that is, but when you said it like that, I was like, yay. No, it it, it has completely changed the way you play Deus Ex Human Revolution, because it used to be that the second you'd punch out one dude with one energy cell or one battery, you're like, okay, now i got to go hide somewhere for a little bit and let that sucker recharge. And you were really hesitant to use your powers because if you took a battery all the way down, it wouldn't recharge unless it was your last one. So you were you were being very, very careful to use all your powers and you weren't doing them crazy like having two energy cells recharge means that I am just cloaking out just for the hell of it at this point. Like I'm just like, oh, dude's coming around the corner, cloak, punch in face. All right, going to let that recharge go over here, punch you in the face. I'm going to throw this refrigerator at you. I'm going to and- pick up this copy machine. <laughs> And this feeds into what what I even when I reviewed it, one of the strengths of Deus Ex is that that way you're playing the game now could literally not even be a factor if somebody chose to build Jensen differently. Exactly, and I, it's really stressing to me how much variety they they put into the game. I mean, their stealth system is pretty good. I, I've I've noticed some jank that I didn't notice before, but when you have the ability to cloak and hide your footsteps and see through walls, all that stuff kind of makes the game a little bit better. Um, and it, it, this is really freed up the game design, and I feel like I'm finally using all the tools, whereas before, I don't want to say it felt like I couldn't use the tools, but I, w- I was doing that thing that we always do in like survival horror games, where you're, you're saving up all your bullets because you know that you're going to be fighting some green hunters pretty soon, and you better have those acid rounds ready to go. And so you're, you're hoarding, you're hoarding, you're hoarding for this one specific instant to use it. Now I'm just like, eh, what the hell, I'm going to throw a refrigerator at this dude. Like, he's pissing me off. I'm just going to, and bounce. And it, it's really freeing, and I'm, I'm enjoying the game on a whole new level right now. That said, it does kind of show that they, uh, for the eventual sequel, they've talked about the Deus Ex universe that they want to work on. They really need to consider how they handle the resource management, because now that you regenerate two batteries, there's no reason to upgrade any of anything outside of the battery recharge rate. There's no reason to go for three because when you use one of the batteries, it'll just you're back down to two again. And I, I, we talked about this before the show, but I, I don't think the resource management worked terribly well in the first game either because in the, in, the, in the original Deus Ex, because it was like, all right, you got battery cells, you're good to go. But if you use your powers, you run out, you're running around literally as a J.C. Denton that can shoot a gun. And you had, you know, in that game, you had, you know, skills like how good you are with guns. So you weren't like totally shafted, but... It's it's very difficult to get that type of resource management where the choice of your gameplay is dependent on how you've built your character, but how you've built your character necessitates this finite resource. Right, and and Dishonored didn't even get it right. I mean, you're you're rolling in the magic in Dishonored to the point where you can just stop time whenever the hell you feel like if you screw up. So even that game didn't get it 100% right. But overall, I'm really enjoying Human Revolution again. Uh, the, the boss fights, which they did talk about how much they changed, they're now tolerable. Because now you just walk into the room, you hack a door, you go get the turrets if you're a stealthy character, and you just let the turrets blow the boss away. Now, so, and let's be honest, that's, 
I think that's all people wanted because the boss fights are not good. No, like, they are. They are not. So by facilitating you not being roadblocked, you're away from them faster. Yeah, kind of a shame. Like boss fights are usually like really dramatic points to punctuate the experience. So. Well, I think the problem is that it comes from the design of the game. I don't think Deus Ex needed boss battles to begin with because there are games that I would. Are, I, I am not one of those people. You know how there's like those those you know internet hipsters that are like we should get rid of all boss fights forever, forever. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. Boss fights are awesome, but the original Deus Ex has no boss battles. Like there is sort of boss battles, but you can shoot the guy six times and he's dead. Like. It, it's not really a boss battle. It's just a dramatic confrontation that still follows the rules of the game. And that's why when you have a game like Deus Ex that's built on these rules, on this is how this is your character's relative strength. These are your character's abilities. When you introduce a character, an enemy that can soak up a billion bullets, you're getting away from what this game is about to begin with. I would have put more set-piece moments into it. Like, there's there's a couple of encounters with the uh, kind of boxy Ed 209-type robots. I would have done more with that because that feels much more dynamic and like you're avoiding it or you're coming up with a with a way of going around it. And Steven's 100% right. I mean, they, they've just built these boss fights now so that you can get through them and you can get through them the way you designed your character. So I play a primarily stealthy hacker, uh, Adam Jensen. And good lord, how did I not play this game the first time with the cloaking upgrade? Because now with the two energy cells, I am just like the predator. I'm just walking around just like, anytime. <laughs> Anytime. And and see, to, to your point, Derek, I agree that it's disappointing. When the game first came out, they admitted, they said we outsourced our boss battles because it was clear the game got delayed at the last minute before it came out. And the endings are very, very rushed. It's like press a button to get your ending. Yep. <laughs> and the boss battles were outsourced. And it's because, honestly, they ran out of time. And they said we ran out of time. And they were like, does the, you know, uh, does the director's cut flesh out the endings? I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm about ready to get to the Missing Link DLC, which is really cool that they've integrated that back into the story. Because that's another part where, like, Adam goes into a cyber coffin and just wakes up at the end of the game. And you're like, uh, what? Yeah, like, the way it works, Derek, is that on PC, to play the DLC, you have to launch it as a separate game. And your, your Mm. character progression is locked to that. So it was lame. But now it's actually integrated into the game. Where originally, when the game first came out, it was like, he goes to sleep, he wakes up, and you're somewhere else. And the game continues. Now, that sequence, uh, that time skip, is now no longer a separate DLC outside the game. It's actually part of it. Yeah. Okay, and is it, um, is it integrated in the middle? or is it it, the It's end? toward the end. I'd say it's about, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of the way but through it, the game. But it's not post-credits. No, no. Correct. No. Okay. And that's, that's why, as originally, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jensen fell asleep, and now he woke up. Now it's like, he fell asleep. And here's what happened. Now he's yeah. awake again. Oh, that's cool. And I, I don't know that they changed the endings, and I honestly doubt they did. Because the endings... Uh, they're Deus Ex is another game where... They're, they're I would, awful. I would, Deus Ex is another game where the journey, it's more about the journey. Even the first game, people have, hold the first game in this like holy regard that it has no flaws. And it has lots of them. It's just It's one of the examples of a classic game that has lots of flaws, but is so good it doesn't matter. And the ending... The, the, the first game literally... This one, you have to press a button to get your ending. The first game is functionally the same, except that you have to run down a certain hallway and hack a computer to get your ending. Yeah. And that, and I actually think that worked better as a finale, because you were saying that you wanted it to have more set-piece moments. I feel like rather than having the very goofy sort of final boss weirdness they have in Human Revolution, in the first Deus Ex, it's like 
okay, there's a there's a man attached to a computer, and how are you, are you going to blow him up? Are you going to disconnect him? Are you going to connect to the computer? And that's how you got your ending. And that was a cool set piece because there are, you know, he's controlling the room because he's attached to this computer. So he's like shooting you at turrets and, you know, summoning bots to attack you. That's a climactic moment that makes sense in your game. Having a giant goober monster that's like, I eat 900 bullets for breakfast is not in keeping with the spirit of the game and screws you if, what if you built your character to not use guns? Well, that was the point I made two years ago, and you yelled at me, Steven. You were like, well, I didn't have any problem with that. I'm like, dude, I didn't even... I had, like, one little pistol in my tranquilizer rounds. Well, I didn't have any problems, but I can also admit that that doesn't mean there weren't problems. Uh, The the other things that they've added to the game, they've added a lot of developer uh, commentaries, which are really awesome. And again, I've said it before, more games need to add this, because I love... I love the art of game design, and I love hearing about them. Like, for example, there's the yellow paint cans all over the world, and they were like, yeah, that became an in-joke because everybody talked about how our world was just black and gold. So we just part- started putting gold paint cans everywhere because, <laughs> well, that's how we got the black and gold. Or uh, the fact that I missed the three seashells from Demolition Man. Oh, they... my God, that was so great. Yep. Uh, there's lots of really cool moments like that. They're not integrated as well as they could be once you start a developer commentary you can't pause it for example on the pc which has kind of been annoying they also don't mark which ones you've already listened to so it's kind of a it's kind of a nuisance because you do re you will go back to certain areas uh you go back to the two main mission hubs detroit and hangsha you'll go back there twice and it's kind of obnoxious to hear the exact same developer commentary and have absolutely no way to end it uh, but but overall, it's such a good game. These are exactly the kind of games that I love. John has said it before. I love exploration-style games, and this is really in that old-school Deus Ex, uh, Vampire the Masquerade-type gameplay where you're walking around a city hub, talking to people. It's like the Bethesda RPG on a small, manageable, intimate scale. I, I don't know that I'd make that comparison, first of all, because it would scare Derek away, and second of all, because... <laughs> The, the Deus Ex experience is much more focused. It doesn't feel generated procedurally well, by a what computer. I, well, well, that's Deus Ex is like, we built a playground. That's the, When I went to Montreal, this is how they described it. They go, we built playgrounds where you, ha- you have you know, so many potential ways to, to negotiate a challenge. We want to build a playground where all the tools for you to do what you want to do are in there if you can think of it. Right, and, and that's why I said it's it's like a more intimate encounter. It's it's like the the best part part of Vampire is being able to solve all these missions different ways, and Deus Ex is the exact same way. I, I found it really interesting to think about how those great PC games, uh, System Shock Two, lives on in the Bioshock series. You know, not so much in Infinite, but in the original Bioshock, especially. Um, Thief has really become dishonored, and now we're getting another Thief game from the guys who made Deus Ex: Human Revolution. Obviously, you have Deus Ex with Deus Ex. These old standing PC game pillars are still alive today, and it's really cool to think about like uh, all the work that Ion Storm did, and all these all these different kind of games that all these people worked on. Both all uh, Deus Ex, Dishonored, and Bioshock all come from the same background the same pedigree there's a reason why 0451 is a combination in each one of these games it's a reference to <laughs> and, and that's so cool that these games have really lived on and i i love this this idea of these these great games are just still living on and human revolution is such a really good game i think their world building is phenomenal 
yeah, their character models are pretty janky, and, and some aspects of the game, you can tell it had a limited budget, but man, their, their focus of vision, and again, hats off to them for creating the best hacking minigame I have ever played. It never gets old. You mean you didn't so like fun. plumbing in Bioshock? Good God, that was cool the first half time I did it. Like, uh, for the first 30 seconds, I was like, hey, this is kind of, oh. Oh, no, this is horrible. This is terrible. And it's such a good game, and I'm really excited that now they're going to be starting up this Deus Ex universe idea to build a a next-gen game and maybe, you know, some uh, cereal boxes and lunch boxes and maybe a flamethrower in there. I'm I'm really excited to see where they go with this series. Uh, You know, it, it makes me hopeful for Thief again. We talked a little bit around E3 about how there was a lot of negativity on that game. These guys, this is a talented group, and I really think they can pull something awesome together. And if you, if you haven't had a chance to play Deus Ex: Human Revolution, now's the time to get the director's cut. And if you have it on PC, especially, it's very reasonably reasonably priced. There's a 45-hour making of documentary, which I can't wait to sit down and watch. Just a lot of love went in. Wait, 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 wait. 45 hour? 45 minutes. Sorry, did I say hour? I I was like, what? Yeah, it's it's uh it's a recreation of Gone with the Wind. Uh, they just go into a lot of depth on it. Uh, no, it's a 45 minute uh, making of feature, and it's just really cool to see all the different stuff that went into this game. Derek, I, th- I think you should give it a try. I think you'll really like it. I, I have run through the intro sequence in Deus Ex like four <laughs> times, and the and the intro is pretty terrible because you don't have any powers. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's just, okay. Okay, cool. I get I get to the point where I get into the uh, the first facility that you infiltrate, and then. Something distracts me and I get away from it. I really do want to play it, but of course now, if I do play it, it's going to be like, well, I could get the director's cut, so maybe... Uh, we should definitely get the director's cut. Maybe Esteem Estelle. Oh, yeah. So it, it's a really, really good game, and it's uh, the, the three big Ds that I enjoyed this console generation were uh, Deus Ex, Dishonored, and Dark Souls, which I also found kind of interesting as I was taking a shower the other day, and I went, huh. My three favorite games of this generation all starts. I wonder why you were thinking. Never mind. Oh, would you stop? Adam Jensen is a cutie, though, and he didn't. <laughs> and he didn't ask for this. He didn't. Ask didn't. For this. But he got it, didn't he? I just Talk about a fantastic pun- I just love, voice delivery. I love punching out walls in that game. <laughs> it's, I the, it's, 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 it's so great because it's the least subtle thing you could possibly <laughs> do as a character. It's like. Well, you could be stealthy, or you could literally punch holes and kill people through walls. I I, I do love how I, I typically hate it when a game breaks whenever you do, like, a kill animation and, and it rips you out of the experience and sees it. But, man, I just don't ever get tired of watching Jensen just tap a dude on the shoulder and full-on just cold-cocking him in the face. Oh, yeah, those are great. <laughs> and, like, the spittle goes up and everything. Well, like that, a- that's the thing. You know why you don't get tired of it? Because there's some personality in it. Like, like there are a couple different ways he does that. And the, the tap on the shoulder one is, like, just based on the way that character acts in the game, you can see he would be, he would be the kind of guy that would be like, tap, tap, boom! It, it's a really fun game. And they, th- uh, again, the it's the three big D's, the three games that I've loved this console generation, give the player so much choice and so much free will about what to do. And I'm just finding more and more that that's what I'm looking for in games. And, I, and that's not to say I don't like linear games. I really enjoy a good story. I enjoy good set-piece moments. But man, when you just shut up and let me play the game the way I want to play it, I just love that. And I can really immerse myself in that world. Word. Great games. Great games. Dishonored, Dark Souls, Deus Ex. Go play these games. 
I'm trying to think of like. Well, so those are your top three from how long? From this whole gen? I would say from this whole gen, those are the three games that I that are really high up there. I can't think of anything beating those three. I mean, Red Dead is really, really good, but I don't see myself playing that again. Like, that was a really good game, but whatever. I'm trying to think of, like, mine. But th- this could go on forever if we do that. Mine mine definitely encompassed Dark Souls and The Last of Us. Mine but I, definitely... I mean, there are more, but... I know Xenoblade's in there, obviously, since... Oh, I that's true. Never that's shut true. up about that, but... Uh, oh, I need to be that. Since I discovered that I, you know, I'm insane about the East series, and for some reason, like, East Origin is the one that I always think of as, like, my favorite, even though apparently that one isn't super popular with fans in Japan, because... So, uh, cause East Origin, because you don't play as at all. Oh. Which is the main guy that's in all the games, but uh, anyway... And all the red. That's another conversation, so... You want to move on to news, or are you going to talk about something else? I am not excited for the PlayStation 4 or Xbox One. There, I said it. Well, I'm not excited for... Okay, the funny thing... like, Okay, so I'm getting a PS4 at launch. I know you can laugh at me. A lot of people are making fun of anybody who's buying one at launch. And I can understand their concerns, but at the same time, it's like... I, I'm an early adopter with tech. Um me like too. Game, game systems especially. Like, I just I like to get them at launch. It's It's fun for me... I enjoy owning it. Like I know, I I am almost positive that there's going to be at least something that I want to own for the PS4 before it ever drops in price or has a remodel. And like that's fine with me. I'll just I'll get it at launch and I will go through the hiccups. And I expect that as an early adopter of tech, like you have to. Um, I will I've say always that, I agree completely. Yeah, I, I'll say that. Like I think the PS4. We we were talking about this earlier. I think the PS4's launch lineup is incredibly weak. Like other than. Like the game that I want most at launch is Resogun, which is a downloadable game that is free on PS Plus. Um, it's also not exactly a technical marvel. It's, I mean, it's probably better than what we would see on a PS3, but not by a lot. Um, I think Knack looks very interesting. Um, I'm not sold on it yet. I'd, I'd really actually like to check out some reviews on that as it gets closer to release. But like, I would rather play Crimson Dragon, which is an Xbox One exclusive launch title, than anything on the PS4's launch lineup. But I want a PS4 more for many, many reasons, but I, so that way yeah. there'll be more than four games you'll ever buy on the console, right? Like, like, for, like my 360. Let's see, Eternal Sonata, which came out multi-platform later, Lost Odyssey, which was amazing and worth worth having a console for, uh, Tales of Vesperia, and is that it? I, for 360, like that, I can't think. I can think of hardly any 360 games that weren't multi-plat that I wanted of what, the system for. Most of what you mentioned, and then Mass Effect, and even then, I only played Mass Effect because at the time I didn't have a PC to play it on, and then yeah, I played then, three on PC, and I was like, "Well, never again." Multi-plat. So. I think the I, I mentioned it in the pre-show warm-up that I, I like to adopt early tech too. I mean, I'm I'm talking myself out of getting an iPhone 5s more so because then my wife will be like, "You need to get me one," so that's why I'm not doing it. Uh, I'm trying Just to say selfish. Um, no, I'm trying to make sure because she got a five back when it came out last year, and I spent oh. way too much money on that. You, so. you don't need to upgrade from a 5 to a 5S. Yeah, she would argue with you. Uh, but uh, I think what drove me with so much excitement toward the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation 3. With the PlayStation 2, I remember it was my first DVD player. And so that was like looming over the whole PlayStation 2 purchase was, I'm getting a DVD player. I don't have one of these. With the PlayStation 3, it was, this is an HD gaming machine, and it's a Blu-ray player. I, I don't have that yet. 
And I'm not saying that these consoles need to have that new thing. I mean, God forbid, I'm the guy over here who doesn't even want to talk about 4K televisions right now because I think it's insane the price on those things. But there's no... I'm not feeling this other tangible quality other than, oh, it's a new game system. Cool. And I'm not saying it should have that, but that was the real level of excitement for me with those other systems. I remember like the the PlayStation 2 buyer's guide in the original Sony uh, PlayStation magazine was like a 14-page spread, and it was going over like, these are the DVDs you need to own. These are the games that you need to buy. Here's 150 games that are coming out for the console in the next three years, including back when Knights of the Old Republic was supposedly in work for the PlayStation 2. That's how old it was. It was like this really awesome thing, and I'm not saying that these consoles aren't going to get there, but I'm kind of in the like, yeah, I can wait. I'm going to put an R9 280X in my in my PC. I'm good. And there it is. That's why, because we're adults, we don't get as excited about hardware launches in theory. Um, I guess I kind of do actually, because I'm very excited. But I'm it's excited. like, I, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, I, excited, but it's not the unabashed. Oh my God, my life is amazing because I'm going to well, get yeah. a PS2. It's because it's we know to temper our expectations. We know that we're not going to pick one up on launch day and our lives are going to be changed forever, you know? Like, I love the new hardware, and I will. Like, I, I bought a PS4 controller when, as soon as they were available, and I've been really enjoying it on PC, which is why I'm less excited, because I'm like, you know what? PS4 is going to have exclusives that I want. I like PlayStation Plus. I love Vita integration. But by and large, if anything is multi-platform, I'm going to be getting it on PC, because it'll look better, run better, and... You know, it's, you know, that's just how it is at this point. I I, uh, I know that because you know, obviously there are things that I'm going to want for PS4 down the line, like Kingdom Hearts 3 and uh, and Final Fantasy 15 are the big two big things that come to mind. Those are multi-platform, um, but I can guarantee you I'd rather play them on a PS4 for all the reasons, you know, Steven mentioned, like Vita integration. And uh, I just I like I like the PS Plus ecosystem. I just I like how PlayStation... I like how Sony designs their hardware, and I, I just I'd rather play those on that system. But there there are things that have been announced that are really interesting, like some of those indie titles that that uh, they showed off. Um, Rhyme, the one that looks like oh my god, I want that. Yeah, like Wind Waker Ico Hybrid, which I know we've that comparison has been drawn many times. Um, and I was actually reading a really interesting article today about Sony Japan Studio. Um, that's the studio who was really active in the PS1, PS2 days, but sort of faded away during the PS3 era. Um, PS1, like, they, like, Shuhei Yoshida was the producer on The Legend of Dragoon for PS1. Um, and so th- those those kind of really big Hallmark titles were huge because Sony knew that they had to push a lot of their first-party stuff in the early days. But in the article that I was reading, um, apparently, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but apparently, like... To an extent, Sony Sony was letting third parties carry them during during the last generation, and so they're really poised to make a huge comeback with PS4 because they want to have a lot of these really interesting, innovative, unique titles that are only on their platform because they have a creative studio that's dedicated to making games only for them. So I, I know that, like, I guarantee you, there are things that I'm going to be super hyped for on the PS4. So I just I'm okay with buying a system early. And not having anything, well, not, I wouldn't say not having anything, but having a limited number of things to play in the very beginning. Because, like, I guarantee you I'm going to want to play Infamous Second Son, and that comes out, what, like February? Uh, I think so, yeah. The system system is not going to drop in price before February, obviously. 
And it's also probably going to be pretty hard to find at that point still. Maybe not impossible, but, like, why not just buy it now and enjoy it? I mean... Well, and, you know, people will go, I don't want to spend the money right now. That's cool. Okay, then don't. Then That's you, the category you, I fit into, is I, I, I'm going to probably get a PlayStation 4, but I waited for the PlayStation 3 until the first summer, and if I had waited one more week, I would have gotten four free my Blu-rays. God. Same here! I, I got the PS... I actually waited on the PS3, and then, like, that, that summer after it came out, I remember seeing a promotion at GameStop, buy it and get Advent Children on Blu-ray, and I was like, oh, man, what a good deal. What a cool first Blu-ray to own. So I do that, and then a week later, they're like, LOL, price drop. And yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? That's also when I played uh, Oblivion like it was quite literally a job, where I played it eight hours a day for about three weeks. I just I, could uh, not stop playing that game. I'm an early adopter, but being an undergraduate and having no money at the time prevented me from getting a PS3 at launch. But I did get one. I got the Metal Gear Solid one when 4 came out and was just, like, elated. I was like, new hardware, new thingy, brand new, oh, my God, next-gen Metal Gear. Yeah. It was awesome. So so I can can understand why uh, anybody would not be excited about either system's launch. Um, I think that the... Like, I I feel bad. I feel like Crimson Dragon is going to totally fly under the radar. (laughs) Get it. Um, but I'm I, I feel like the game. It will I'm get. a gigantic Panzer Dragoon fan. So like Panzer Dragoon, Panzer Dragoon Orta is probably my favorite game on Xbox. Um, it, it would be for me if not for Phantom Dust. Oh uh, yeah. And, when, when, are we gonna get, when are we going to get Panzer Dragoon Saga? Why Never. isn't why they isn't they can't they can't they lost the source code completely? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, it's it, crazy. It can, it will. It basically, unless somebody wanted to reverse engineer it, which the amount of money that would cost, Sega ain't spending that. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I can see why people aren't excited. That's totally cool. Um, but I'm pretty excited actually. I mean, at, at as of this recording, we're what a week and a half out from launch, just about. So I, I'm like legitimately excited. I ordered it. I ordered mine through Amazon, so I'll be at home waiting for it to come. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm super stoked to set it up and play with it, and hopefully I, it won't be as bad as the Wii U in terms of waiting for a good game to come out. Because <laughs> the Wii U came out, Nintendo Land was a blast with my friends for about a week, and then we all kind of got tired of it, and my Wii U didn't see a lot of use for quite a while, so hopefully the PS4 is not the same. I, I can see the PS4 being a lot better for those really focused single-player experiences. I'm I'm excited for one, but I have to admit I probably won't be able to get it at launch. I'm probably going to cancel my pre-order because I'm like, yeah, that's four dollars. Did you decide that just now? I decided it earlier today actually because that's four hundred dollars that will pay for my trip to Magfest. So I was like, mine's going on a credit card, so I can't. It's an Amazon credit card, so that won't fund my Magfest trip. I'm going to do the upgrade on my graphics card probably at the end of the year. I'm kind of hoping for a never-settle deal on the uh, new R9 AMD cards. I'm sitting here, like, keeping my fingers crossed for that. You know, that's a better... I'm sure that's a better move, at least for you, because you'll get so much more use out of it. Yeah, and and I do play my PlayStation 3, but it's it's almost all exclusives. Like I I was saying to Steven the other day, is like, I play it for The Last of Us, and I I played it for, you know... um, God, what was the last really big exclusive I would have played? Uh, Dragon's Crown. So the, those are the exclusives that I'll play it for, and as those keep coming, I'll definitely get one of the consoles, most likely a PlayStation 4. Uh, I'm a Sony fanboy, what can I say? Uh, oh, but, I, I absolutely am. But like, yeah, if, I, if, I am too, I if Final Fantasy and Metal Gear and Kingdom Hearts, if all those games come out on PC, which I'm not saying they will, but the... Well, they, they've pretty much said they're building it on a PC, 
and at, at the, in the age we're entering, Konami's been releasing all of their stuff on PC. Yeah. Like Castlevania. I would be 100% unsurprised to see Metal Gear come to PC. And given that Square is having, you know, had pretty good response with Final Fantasy XIV's relaunch on PC, I would be very, very unsurprised to see that come to PC. Yeah. And, and, and sell th- better than it does on Xbox One. And at that point, the only guys who are going to keep me interested in their system is Sony. And I'm not saying Sony can't do it, but, you know, they got to... They're going to have to throw some pretty big titles around because then what will end up happening is I'll get a PlayStation 4 and it'll just be my Sony player where I'll, okay, I'll play the Sony exclusives on that thing, but... See, that's exactly... Honestly, that's already what I'm going to do for it because I know, you know, it was funny back in the day to be like, haha, Sony has crappy... has no characters or when they announced PlayStation All-Stars. Who's Sony's All-Stars? Sony has a crap load of awesome first and second party games. They chose horrible made... characters for the for that game. Yeah, I wanted it was to see like the worst roster of all time. You, you yeah, like, needed you needed well, Ellie was, like uh... jumping on the back of Sweet Tooth and shiving him in the neck. Like that's <laughs> what you needed. And and that's the thing is like you know everyone's like oh Nintendo's franchises are so much more lovable. I'm like yeah their characters are more distinguishable. But as a person I you know I admit it I I'm a Sony fan. I pref- vastly prefer the original experiences I can have on Sony's consoles. And I could, I you know, I could run down a very large list of the games that I've enjoyed. But can I ask a, a question without being a troll again? Um, it depends. What saves the Wii U? I have it no idea. It. Um, it's I mean the next big Zelda probably, but that's you said you said like two years. I think it's probably going to come out winter of this of twenty fourteen, like like I... November ish. I can see. I don't know what saves the Wii U because honestly, it's like the question: What saves the Vita? What saved the yeah. Vita was it not being like, oh, we need more AAA titles. It's like, look at all these indie games. Look at all these experiences you can have on Vita. You know, it's sort of like crept up on people. It's like, oh, that's right. There are kind of a ton of games on the Vita now. And the yeah. problem is that like it's the same thing with Mario. It's like a new Mario gets people. A new Zelda. Zelda is definitely going to get a bump in the number of Wii U's sold, but that console I don't think is ever going to sell as well as the Wii did, which is, that's a ridiculous bar to go after anyway. Nothing is going to sell as well as the original Wii. Yeah. I don't, I think Nintendo will have a comfortable, if tense, third place here. I, man, I don't know if they're going to hit the ejector seat on it. No, I, I don't know. They, I mean, they, will, not, they will not. They will not. Eject. They will not. They will not. Yeah, I agree. Well, how much and longer? I, and, I, and I and I respect that. I I vastly respect that they don't they don't do the Microsoft and go, all right. Well, this isn't making us a ton of money more. Dump it. How how much longer do the third parties support the Wii U though? Well, the, really the thing is, the, I think that the multi-platform stuff is what is a problem because like nobody's gonna buy the, the next. Nobody's gonna buy Battlefield Battlefield Four on Wii U unless that is their only option. Because it is going to be inferior no matter how you slice it. Like, it's going to have a crappier frame rate, or it's going to have limited online, or it's going to have, like, weird controls, or whatever. The, the, whatever the case may be. Like, I, I just think that devs need to stop... I, I don't know. Like, I guess multi-platform games are what make them money, but at the same... Like, that's not what I want to see on the Wii U. Like, I, I could not care less about Assassin's Creed 4 on Wii U, or whatever the case may be. I want original unique experiences and what developers need to do if they want to sell games in that console is to create cool new things like the wonderful 101 or i don't know i can't even think of it 
What else? Is I still really don't good? know why we don't have a. I still don't know why we don't have a licensed Dungeons and Dragons game where the person with the pad dungeon masters people. Yeah, that that'd be great. I, 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 that's ready-made awesomeness. I, oh, oh, you know, you know what is gonna? I smash. I, I don't know how I forgot. Smash is gonna definitely boost sales a lot for the Wii U, and if it's anything like the previous Smash games, it's gonna have a really big tail, because that's true. Up until up until oh, like yes earlier that's this year, up until earlier this earlier this year, Brawl was still selling. They were still making it new, and it was still selling for what fifty. So yeah. I mean. A lot of first-party Nintendo games like that never really depreciate because they're so desired. So I think I think Smash will do a lot. Like between Smash and a new Zelda, it'll bring it up a lot. But I, I do agree that I, I think they're going to have a really hard time resting first or second place from Sony and Microsoft just because they, they are so established. I, I, and I, I think I think the Wii was a fluke, and not a bad not not to say Nintendo doesn't make good games, but Nintendo was comfortably third place at that point two generations in a row. Or you know, they were 64 did not sell as well as PlayStation 1. GameCube was the third place after the Xbox and the PS3. The Wii was an anomaly. I think we're just going to get back to Nintendo makes a console that is a nice console. It's cheaper than the other ones, and they have excellent first party games, and that's their thing. And if they make enough, like the they th- sell Nintendo, enough, Nintendo is not a big enough company to throw this juggernaut. That Microsoft and Sony do, and that's 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 fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I just I agree that I don't think they should be considered in the same class of console because they're meant to do different things at this they're point. Very, they're very tertiary. Like yeah, you buy a Nintendo console because you want to play a Nintendo game. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's never like hmm, which do I buy the PS4 or the Wii U? It's like no, okay, you either, most people tend to say either either the PS4 or Xbox One or you know Sony Sony or Microsoft, and then the Nintendo is a separate thing. So yeah. There yeah, is so Ezio costume in thirteen two. Wow. Yeah. Oh God. Why? There's also Mass Effect costumes. Really? Really? Yeah. You can get N seven armor for both of them, for Noel and Noel and Sarah. It's kind of cool looking, actually. It's, you mean Sora? Yeah, Sora. Sure. Hey. He's, you know, he's the best damn character in that game. Really? Well, I mean, Caius is cool too, but yeah, he he's a cool character. Like. We've, I think we've talked about this. Uh, everybody thought he was going to be super lame, and then everybody was like, oh, he's actually almost the best thing about that game. But anyway, would you like to talk about some news? Yeah, if we could do a short news section, because it is almost 12.30 at night right now, and I have to get up and teach tomorrow morning. All right. So and teach you your physic. Yes, so Path of Exile has officially launched. Steven played it quite a bit during beta and enjoyed it. So, Steven, are you happy it's out? Yeah, I mean, they are constantly adding new things to that game. The development team is very engaged with the community a lot and really works to give them what they want um, in much the same way Yoshi P does with Final Fantasy XIV. Um, I know Rob doesn't like it, but I think very, very heartily that it is a considerably better game than Diablo III. Diablo III is not a bad game, and I still had fun with that. But if you were to ask me, hey, you've beaten both of these and played them for 100 hours, which one do you want to play now? I would say Path of Exile every time because of the character building system. Did and you actually play... Now, wait a minute. Did you actually play Path of Exile for 100 hours? No, I played it for like 50. Okay. All right, all right, all right. All right. I wasn't sure how much you played it for. I was just I was just asking. So I think I might I might give it another try. I, I still think the art design... I don't know what it is, but I just cannot get interested in that art design. Here's the thing. But... The first act is... It's brown. 
It is. It's very brown. Yes, and it always has that very dry Diablo 2 color palette. But visually, there are a lot of... Like, the second place you go to is this crazy-looking forest where, like, apes are coming down from, like, these trees and attacking you. That's how they spawn in. So there's... And, you know, there's there's a lot of visually interesting stuff. It's not as colorful as Diablo, and it certainly doesn't have the production value of Diablo, but it has such a compelling character-building system because it's not like Diablo 3 where you can't make a mistake. You can screw up your build in Path of Exile. You can. You know, you'll be able to get through the game, but... It is very much in the Diablo 2, there's, you know, if you want to do a certain thing with your character, there's bajillions of ways to do it, but they encourage you to say, hey, plan out your build. What are you going to do? You know, what skills on this massive tree do you want? And I mean, like, the the, the full game, they added an extra character class. Um, the, the classes in that game aren't preset. It's like, if you pick a class, it's, it's just like Final Fantasy X. The mage class starts in the area of the sphere grid with the passive abilities where there's lots of magic stuff, but you could take your magic character and move her over into like smashing people with swords if you wanted to. And so they added a new archetype to the full game, to the new, the, the, the complete release where the character starts in the middle. So you can kind of build that character in any direction you want. So, oh, there's, so it's, it's Kimari. It's Kimari. Yes. Which probably means it's also a pain in the butt to make it a good character, but that's the thing is that's why I find that game so compelling because I think the core clickety combat feels good. I agree. When you smash something in Diablo 3, it feels great. But the problem is that once you smash something with the same spell a billion times, the same spell that everybody else that has your character can do it, it loses some of that magic because it's like, oh, I got a new piece of equipment. My numbers are bigger. In Path of Exile, it's like I got a new piece of equipment. I can make an entirely new character based around these abilities because it makes me shoot lightning bolts when I get shot below 10% HP or something nuts. So it's, yeah, I, I highly recommend Path of Exile. I even think if you play it more, you'd like it, Rob. All right, all right. I still need to try it. I, I downloaded the beta a long time ago, but I never actually fired it up. So I should... Maybe and it I'll... is the low, low price of free. So, and it's in yeah. Steam now, so it's very easy to play. Yeah. Yep. Rob is so <laughs> Rob is so like grouchy. I don't know. It just it just it completely okay. turned me off. I don't I don't know. It, it was like I the Radiant you know Historia it, thing. It was just like was, I don't I don't get it. You know what it's it was, okay. Rob? It was you were still we were both suffering from the backlash against Diablo three, and not that I don't think some of that backlash is deserved. None of the connectivity stuff, I think. And again, I know Dave will get mad and yell at me, but. Uh, I, I think it was the problem is that you, you come into Path of Exile and you hear everyone going, oh, Diablo 3 is crap. This game is so much better. And it's, 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 not, it's not a zero-sum game. Diablo 3 can still be fun if Path of Exile is fun. And that's why I like both games. Do I think Path of Exile has much better longevity and builds on a lot of the things that I liked in Diablo 2 that were not built on in Diablo 3? Yes. And does it have an incredibly interesting character building system and so much loot, I don't even know how you'd ever find it all because they're constantly adding more. They add new skills to the game in every single patch. They add new materia, like, I don't know, skill gems. But, like, gems that tweak the ability, like the runes were going to do in Diablo 3 before they changed it. And it's not the kind of game where you're going to see everything by playing through one character. Right. And that's it's, it's, it's the kind of game that's built for you to go, hey, I want to build a warrior who shoots lightning bolts and has absolutely no HP but a giant shield or I want to be this guy who fights constantly with in, in with blood magic or something so it's it's like you're supposed to think of crazy things and try to make them work but Steven, no respects you, uh, sorry if, go ahead if Doug. you're a, if you're a blood mage then you're evil and I have to kill you 
Yes. There, there, you get you get respect points, which are like you can take out a few of your skills. So like if you buy something and you're like, oh, I don't want that, you can get rid of it, but you cannot blanket wipe your character. Now that said, when they when they upgraded it to 1.0, every single character got a full reset. Hmm. So like my character that was level 40 something, I was able to remap all of her skills if I wanted to. That's the only thing I'm worried about is I don't want to dump 50 hours into this game and go, oh, character broken. I can't break Adam Jensen, even though he asked for it. Now, see, that's the thing is this is it's a different kind of game. It's it's meant it, part of it is building a character and, and finding what the best potential for your character is. You'll be able to get through the game, but to build the best possible character is kind of the drive. It's like Diablo 2 where you're like, oh, I want to make a lightning source first. What's the best way to do that? And it's not like it takes a long time to level up. I mean, I, I had, I was at a pretty high level very quickly, and it's it's you know it's built so that you you can start a new character and boost them up quick. It's it's very Diablo two like in that regard. Okay, I got you. All right, let me speed through just a couple more news stories here. We have a release date for Atelier Esha and Logi, which is the really long name uh, next Atelier game. It is Atelier Esha and Logi Alchemists of the Dusk Sky, Super Hyper Climax Edition Alpha Rebirth. Now, um, it comes out March 11th, 2014. Uh, I'm a big fan of that series, and since I have reviewed the last three, I am going to be presumptuous and say that I will probably review that game. So uh, hopefully in March it'll come out and be good so they're they're really solid games they're very anime e but very uh, addictive so i'm excited for that um we knew it was coming kind of but we didn't really have a release date before just now so that's good uh there is a collector's edition for bravely default that has been announced for europe but mysteriously not for north america yet i say yet because hopefully we get it um it's really really pretty looking um all of the packaging for their Bravely Default stuff in Japan was, like, out of control pretty. So this follows in that tradition. It's got um, the game, the uh, figurine of Agnes, which is the female protagonist with the brown hair, 34 AR cards, and an art book, soundtrack, and it's all going to go for 150 Australian dollars. Don't know. Oh. Well, Australian dollars. 599 US dollars. They're, in, they're inflated. We don't know. But, uh, I actually, I keep forgetting, and, and until I looked at the story, I forgot. We were running news stories way back before Bravely Default came out in Japan about the AR stuff, and they were, like, touting that as an actual feature for the game. I have no idea what the AR does, but there are 34 cards in that collector's edition, so you should be able to do something with it. I'm gonna, I don't know. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I'd like to review that. Okay. You threw your hat in that. Uh, I just did. Yeah. Wait, what well, do you wanna... I mean, Bravely Default. Yeah. Oh, like, I, 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 sorry. I, I was like, you don't want to review Atelier Escher and Logan. No, no. Bravely you're, you're one story behind there, buddy. Well, yeah, because everybody knows if you try to wrest East out of my hands, you'll be met with a huge fight. So that's my claim. I don't know why I threw that out there. So um, I don't really want to talk about this uh, Final Fantasy and Ida story because we're running so late. Um, basically, some Square Enix executives said that they would be open to having a Western developer work on a Final Fantasy game. In what capacity, we have no idea, but it just sounds like they are becoming a little bit less clandestine in their development process, which is great. Uh, I personally don't know how I feel about a Western studio tackling a mainline Final Fantasy, like a numbered one. Um, not just because I... not It's not just like a principal thing, it's just... There are so many elements of Final Fantasy that I don't know if a new dev could get right on the first try. 
So I, I it's tough to say. It could be good. It could not be good. Derek, There's, it's okay. You're, 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 you're racist. I am the most racist ever. <laughs> I, I hate Western people of any kind, including myself. So anyway, um, The Walking Dead Season 2 was officially announced. We knew it was coming, but... Rob just broke a glass. No, Rob my cats are fighting with each other, and they nearly broke the olive oil. <laughs> uh, season two is going to be out for PC, Mac, <laughs> consoles, and iOS, and probably toasters and such later on. It doesn't have a release date yet, but the first episode is actually supposed to be out sometime this year, so before the end of December, and then the following ones will come out in 2014. Um, the entire package is available for pre-order on Steam at 10% off for 22.49. Otherwise, they're all going to be five bucks a piece. So, to continue the story of Clementine, Walking Dead season two. Cool. And my final news story is South Park: The Stick of Truth was delayed, and nobody is surprised. Um, mm. Looks like Obsidian needs some more time to get that out, and they have delayed it until March fourth in North America, March sixth in Europe. They did release a seven and a half minute gameplay, quote unquote, trailer that's just like a bunch of battles and stuff. Um, for what it's worth, I actually think it looks kind of decent. It's a turn-based um, RPG. I, it's really it's hard to say. I keep saying that, but I really don't know. I could it could be like really fun or incredibly bland. It, it it's funny because that I watched that demo and I went, okay, the humor's there. You can tell Matt and Trey wrote it. It, it definitely has the South Park humor, and I really like what they're going for. I thought the battle combat looked interesting at first. And then it really started to seem monotonous. Like, okay, they got into another battle. Okay, they got into another battle. I, I thought the world environment stuff was kind of cool. Like, you were, you were kind of interacting like a point-and-click adventure to kind of get through some battles and kind of... It looked like light puzzle-solving element. That element looked kind of cool, but I don't know. That game looked really weird. And maybe it was just a bad demo. I mean, sometimes bad demos happen, but... I actually lost interest after seeing it actually played. I don't know what I was expecting, but it just it, it looked very weird. It seems like it's going to be a a solid seven kind of game, from what I can tell. But yeah, I don't know. It it mm, Obsidian, we love you. Well, I, I love you guys. I hope they can pull it off. So it's uh, it's getting late, and that is all I have for news today. I appreciate that. I, I apparently I have to teach tomorrow morning. So um, yeah. Yep, uh, for uh, Stephen and Derek, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. Be sure to uh, subscribe to us uh, on iTunes, and we're at 58 reviews right now. I'd really like to hit 60. It makes me feel so good, especially because, you know, the Retronauts podcast just started up, and they have like 1,300 reviews. And that just makes, every time you don't review the podcast, I cry. So I like to think we have lively discussions that are worthy of reading. So get on there, please. I will, uh, you know, last time I promised to shut up. Maybe that'll work. Maybe, maybe this time I'll promise to shut up. We did it with Rhythm Encounter, and I'll do it again today. So if you leave us a review and you include some kind of phrasing alluding to uh, Rob's love of Dark Souls, we will, we will thank you in the next episode. Just say something clever, and we'll, we'll thank you by name, really. It, it means a lot to us when you rate and review us, because it makes us more visible, like we always say. And more visibility means we can do this, and more people will enjoy it. And it's just, it's good. Everything's great. I and I'm going to try something new. If you haven't listened to it, you should totally listen to our other podcast, Rhythm Encounter. It's about music. Even if you aren't sure you like 
you would want to hear such a thing. I've had tons of people tell me, oh, I always play my games without music on. And I've had several people say that they have a new appreciation for the music and games after listening to our show. And don't worry, Rob, at the end of the next Rhythm Encounter, I'll tell everybody to make sure they're listening to Random Encounter. Thank you. Uh, that was also the other news story that we missed, is that Namco Bandai uh, absolutely hates me when it comes to the Dark Souls and, and the, the beta. So they didn't do the beta weekend. Apparently it just did not work. And I was like, oh, maybe they'll realize that they were starting the beta at 2 in the morning Eastern Standard Time. No, they rescheduled it for 2 in the morning again Eastern Standard Time. I'm sorry, Rob. Womp, I, I am going to get in a plane and go to Namco Bandai, and I'm going to hit them with my ring hand. I feel that, like that ends the podcast a lot. Is like Rob Rob declaring, I'm going to travel to blank place and inflict harm on blank person. I think I've only done it one or twi- once or you, twice. Don't make me yeah, out to be a I monster. Think, I think this is like the third time. You psycho- no, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. <laughs> Th- thank you. Thank you for that, Troy Baker. <laughs> oh. All right, we're good. Because he's doing the new voice of the Joker in Batman Arkham Origins. And he's fantastic at it. Oh, that's that's good. I mean, I loved his performance as Joel. So. And I loved his performance as Two-Face in literally the previous game. Oh, did he really? Yeah, which is everything bizarro. But... Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Oh, boy. But he wasn't very good as James Sunderland in the Silent Hill HD remake. It's pretty terrible. Thanks Sorry, for Troy. listening to Random Encounter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will see you all next time. Or will we? That's really the funniest thing you got. Hey, it's not my job to come up with funny, witty things. You're the host. Very clearly, it's not your job. <laughs>